you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Your words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 165. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Raygun coming in from a safe house in Kabul, Afghanistan. Chris, <laughs> what's going on over there in that in that sterile looking room of yours? You're you're really leaving. Yeah, yeah, I'm moving. I'm packing everything up. Uh, everything's everything's covered in bubble wrap and and weird foam that I inexplicably have access to that I don't know what I would have used it before for. But uh, yeah, it's it's all coming together. All this is obviously you can't put a sofa in a box, right? So. <laughs> But well, you could, but you, everything's but you pretty much everything's pretty much done except for my computer and my desk, which is like the compute, the PC setup, like the intricate, like mm. wired. It's the most mm. tedious thing. So immediately after this is done and after the files are uploaded, I'm unplugging all this and you're unplugging and you're going. This is, this is your maiden voyage on the show. Uh, well, no. What's the end of the maiden voyage? The return voyage. What is there a name for that? Mm. I'm going to look this up. What is the opposite of a maiden voyage. I never thought about this. There's really nothing coming up. There's no the opposite of a maiden voyage is first voyage. No, that's sent to the breakers. Okay, that's terrible. That's what's coming up here. That's not, sent to the breakers. that's not nearly as catchy as maiden voyage. No, no. 
Uh, well, good to see you as always. You have to take advantage. You have to at least film some sort of hostage video in that room before you go. If you're if you're listening to the audio podcast, this looks like Serbia in 1994 in his room right now. It's great. They close the curtains. There's a bunch of shit going on outside. It's great. Well, Chris, good to see you. Dustin Furman is always our executive producer, co-host of Sacred Symbols. How's life? Life is good. Nothing too different for me. Um, just like hanging out working playing playing games I, I i couldn't think of anything interesting to say at all which is good that's how i think it is once you get like later in life if things are staying like pretty consistent i'm always like good with that if you as long as you're in a good spot sure so. i totally agree i'm kind of i'm excited because we're doing the live show soon yes but I'm, I'm dreading it in a way too because i don't like leaving my space like sure. i just i was thinking about it i have not been out of my space in quotes since like december of 2019 really right and because i lived with my mom for a few months when i was waiting for my house but i still considered that like homey like it was not yeah a foreign place to me so this will be interesting i haven't even left virginia since i got here so and i used to travel all, as my old audience or you know the older members of the audience and i used to be all over the goddamn place so it'll be nice and fun i'm looking forward to that that's gonna be a lot of fun so we're doing that <clears throat> uh, labor day weekend have we i've gotten a few messages dustin have we yes. talked about where the the day after meet and greet or not meet and greet. It's really just like get together food trucks and all of this. Yes. What's going on with that? So as of now, let's see, this is posting at noon on Friday on our Patreon. We are going to have a public post available at the time of this recording with all of those details uh, enclosed. So you can go to our Patreon, whether you're a patron or free feed, um, which I guess we'll probably put out a tweet just to let the non patrons know as well. We're going to have a big info dump there that ben is working on i mean he's today is thursday for us he is getting that together now and we're going to go over that later so i recommend checking that out just so you can find the address and stuff like that cool perfect we're really looking forward to that so obviously we'll have 200 and some odd people with us on saturday that's ticketed but then the next day that's for anyone that wants to come we'll be there for a few hours food trucks just kind of hang out I don't know what the wet like it, I'm trying to kind of visualize this place. Is there like cover? Is it going to be yes. sunny? We okay, have so. a large shelter. It's not like huge, like, but it is big enough that it will be. I mean, this is the thing about this meet and greet is that we have like the event. I we, we know exactly how many people are going to be there. This meet and greet. I, I mean, we're we're prepared for anything, but uh, we have the biggest shelter in the park, whereas prepared as we can be but i don't know is is it going to be five thousand people and mayhem uh in butler the city of butler who knows i, I doubt it. it i think it'll no, i think, I think we'll have okay. a few hundred i i, I yeah. think people yeah come hang out we're i think i'll talk about this a little more let me think here next week i guess on next week's episode will that be in time i don't know yeah i guess so because patrons will listen to it but we're just gonna for for people are curious like what's the mask situation what's this situation what's that situation we're just going to defer to like state and local guidelines no right. judgments if you want to wear a mask we're not going to ask you for your vaccination status or anything like that but try to respect everyone's boundaries and the next day when we actually meet you i'm happy to shake hands and stuff like that take pictures or whatever but let's try to keep a distance just to be safe right like no reason to tempt fate even though we're outside and all of that so all i'm saying is is that there's a whole uh, spectrum of people about how they feel about COVID and their vaccination status and masking or whatever. We respect pretty much that whole spectrum. In fact, we would have to respect the whole spectrum, another kind of spectrum if we wanted to work with Dustin. And so we, wow. we did. And yeah, <laughs> thank goodness. So thank you for that. Uh, obviously support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last media early ad free access to every episode of this show, access to two episodes of sacred symbols plus a week. 
the most recent one actually was really fun. I sat down with Henry Maxwell, who's working on art now for Lily Mo, but he's um, a longtime kind of indie artist. And he gave some insight into his voyage into and through the industry and how he found his way to us. The last couple of episodes, the other one with punk rock NBA, people have found these quite inspirational. Like it's been really cool to read that feedback. So I appreciate that. By the time, actually, the next day after this goes live for patrons, uh, Lord Cognito, of course, from Defining Duke will be publishing. He's heading up. I think it's already done, actually, a Final Fantasy seven remake integrate spoiler cast. So that will be the next episode of Sacred Symbols Plus and so on and so forth. Remember, I'm talking to I haven't said this publicly yet, although we've discussed it on Plus. I'll be sitting down with Philip Mewson for episode of Sacred Symbols Plus. I think it's first interview ever about his plagiarism scandal. Oh, and I think the live show will be a Sacred Symbols Plus episode shortly after we record that, et cetera, and so on. You can buy merch at lastdaymedia.shop, et cetera. All right, let's get into a couple of corrections as we move into our show. Liam wrote in to us and said, after last week's episode, I made a comment in the Discord regarding Colin's pronunciation of Caesar, the canceled PSVR game. So I called it Czar, C-S-A-R, and we got a few pieces of input about this. I'm a helicopter pilot and SAR and Caesar are part of our mission. I just wanted to share my perspective and say that while it would have been cool to see my helicopter in a video game glory, my honest take is that I just don't think this game would be very fun and can completely understand why it never got off the ground. Ooh, little pun. Not only is, not only is this mission not as glamorous or flashy as people would think, I can't even begin to wrap my, my, my head around how complicated and disorienting it would be to fly with the move controllers or a dual shock and a PSVR strapped to your face. Certain aspects of flying are even difficult to replicate in our intricate training simulators. So thank you, Liam, for writing in. This is a correction, of course, we discussed at length. The so, so Manchester studio, the Sony first party studio that came and went without even leaving pre-production. We finally found out they were working on a PSVR rescue helicopter rescue game. I called it Czar, but it's called Caesar. So I just wanted to let everyone know that doesn't Colin, matter because it's never going to see the light of day. I want to know if Liam has ever blasted sacred symbols through the speakers of the helicopter at, at any awesome. point. You know, we always hear about these stories about people, whether they're, you know, ambulance driver uh, we had the guy after I mentioned Chili's, someone wrote, reached out to me and said he was a manager of Chili's and thought the shout out was cool. So hearing about all these these people throughout, you know, the world in their different circumstances, that's always, always fun. I, I love this thinking about the helicopter pilot listening to uh, Sacred Symbols. Very cool. Yeah. In the helicopter. In the helicopter, hopefully. Yeah, that would be nice. It is. Isn't it interesting to uh, we said this some weeks ago, like you said, but it's always interesting to to think about how people listen to our shows and consume our shows. And by the way, I mean, it's funny you say that because last week we discussed a question about if the show is too long and I have never. Oh, maybe rarely. Maybe The Last of Us was the last thing that got people this upset in our community. But we had I'm sure you saw it, but we had so much feedback of people being like it was literally like 99 percent of people being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, don't make the show shorter. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we weren't. We just want (laughs) to. open up a line of conversation. Everyone needs to calm down. If you don't, I'm going to send you to Chris's hostage room and he's going to record some sort of video. Put it on Rumble. Some kind of video. Rumble? What's Rumble? <laughs> Rumble's like a, a new YouTube kind of competitor. Oh my God. It's not LiveLeak. But right, right, right. Live. So no, some, well, it might, might go on LiveLeak if, if you don't pay the ransom. Then mm. it'll be on LiveLeak. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting pretty dark. All right. Uh, one more correction. This one's for you, Dustin. Mark Elfring wrote oh. in and said, hey, CDC, last episode, you guys said that Katie Holmes ran Theranos, but it is actually Elizabeth Holmes. Right. That ran the company. Katie Holmes is an actress. Famous for Batman begins Dawson Creek, Dawson's Creek and being married to Tom Cruise, babysitting my cousin, etc. Oh, she babysat your cousin. That's interesting. Whoa. She happens to be from my hometown of Toledo, Ohio, and I could not in good conscience allow a fellow Toledian to 
to Toledo in Toledo in to be improperly attributed to this fraud. All the best and keep dusting those balls. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Uh, I know we got a few corrections about that, too. Yeah, I noticed that we were saying Katie Holmes. But in my mind, I'm like, well, that's got to be a very common name. So I just went with it. I'm like, right. well, there can't just be one Katie Holmes. There are many Colin Moriarty's. Sure. Yeah. You know, so certainly there are thousands of Katie Holmes. So I was like, oh, there's just two of them. I Chris heard you saying that. And I was like, I didn't know anything about this story. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I had no idea. Katie Holmes. Right. <laughs> did that. And I just assumed that that's what the story was. So it was a lot more. It was a lot less fascinating when I found out that it was just some random, you know, person. Right. You know. Yeah. That was when I discovered that, like, after we recorded at some point, I was like, oh, no, that wasn't the right name. I was like, man, it was such a good point. Don't you hate that? Like, you, I'm like, man, that was such a good reference. And then just mm, that yeah. one little thing. It's OK, though. I think everyone everyone understood. All right. Few things to get through. Actually, more than a few things to get through before we get to what we're playing. First of all, if you buy a PS5 now, they're not really becoming any more common. But if you do, you might actually get the one that we mentioned a couple months ago that is lighter, that has the new base screw and all that. Those are appearing in the wild. So don't be surprised if you get that first revision in your box. Just before we started recording, a few people in our community linked us to this video. Braden Burge was one guy that did it. I don't know what the nature of this video is. I'm not even sure how to link people to it because it's got a ridiculous name. But if you go to this guy's YouTube channel called Christopher Turner, it's called Turner Made. He has a video. I mean, this is what the video is called. PXL 2021 10 just a bunch of numbers. But what it seems to be is either a really well done fan made UE4 game or it is some sort of leak of an early build of a Mandalorian game. A lot of people talking about this. The interesting thing that makes me feel like there's two things that make me feel like this could be real. The first thing is, is that it's just very complex. There's a lot of work that went into this, including like a baby Yoda like model and all this other shit. Seems like a waste of time. The second thing that I think is even more substantial is that there is a Stadia overlay at the end of the video, meaning that this is running on Stadia. And it could be that they're building on Stadia and this guy has Stadia dev kit access. I have no idea, but I'm curious if you guys took a look at this video and if you did what you thought of it. So, Dustin, let's start with you. It's just a uh, four minute, four and a half minute video. It's pretty impressive. I mean, even if it's a some sort of mod, uh, it's not some fly by night shit. It's pretty well done. I mean, it's very empty. The sounds aren't right. A lot of people are skeptical about this, so I'm not saying it is real, but it's interesting. And I would believe that a Mandalorian game was being developed. What what do you make of this? I'm pretty conflicted on this one because I saw some people responding to your Twitter saying like, oh, yeah, this is clearly this unreal animation, which I get that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that it's not real. Like there could be placeholder animations or other stuff just put in there. The most interesting aspect to me, though, is this. uh the stadia thing at the end it's really really brief and if you pause it it even says this person is playing star wars the mandalorian blah 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 which again there's been some very very convincing fakes out there like someone with a moderate knowledge of premiere pro could fake that but it's i don't know again it's extensive it looks it looks cool i'm i'm not really sure what to think yeah, I don't either. I think it looks cool, too. I think what's interesting, too, is it's being shot from behind and overhead. You would think you this would just be direct feed um, if it was someone putting it. I mean, if you would. And so there's two ways to look at it. You either want to think like, oh, this was stolen, found footage. So there's like a guy's head bobbing in the front of it and stuff that somehow makes it more convincing. But at the same time, you would think it would be more convincing for it to just be direct feed. But maybe they wanted if it is fake to show like, look, it is running on Stadia. I mean, Chris, what do you 
think about this uh this brief four and a half minute clip yeah it it's weird because I, I know what people are saying where like it does look placeholdery it does look like it could have been like thrown together with a bunch of like stolen i mean star wars there's a lot of star wars assets available like to, for download like pretty much anywhere on the internet like there's definitely i know you're talking about the baby yoda model but there's definitely been a, a pretty high fidelity baby yoda model used to mod into skyrim for no good mm. reason or whatever you know mm. okay so that part like i i I understand, but at the same time, to me, the thing that gives it away is like something that's probably real is the the radar at the top right that is like stunningly accurate. And that shit's like not mm. super easy to do. Uh, yeah. I know because I've tried to do this <laughs> and like granted, I'm not like a game dev or anything. So probably like smarter people will be able to figure that out more than or, uh, you know, more effectively than I could with my friend in the UK in like 2013. But that would be difficult to fake, I feel. And it does look pretty substantial, like this jetpack and this flamethrower thing. And I could believe that this is very real. And the thing that actually like cements it to me as like more real than not is the Stadia thing. Not because it just says Stadia on it, but because I feel like that would be a weird thing to fake. I just don't know right. why you would fake Stadia like that, that, that doesn't that's not good marketing, <laughs> you know, like that's not like, ooh yeah, Stadia. No one's excited about that. That's not like something that you would include on purpose. So I, I do think this is like a really early build of something that's actually probably real. Like it seems, seems legit to me. It seems early uh, because there's definitely a lot of placeholder animations. You can tell it's like not quite right, but it seems like a lot of work. And that baby Yoda looks quite frankly, a little bit like a dreams thing. <laughs> a oh, yeah. Like the, the, the longer I look at it, something but, you would wipe with the, uh, the wand. Make with your PlayStation <laughs> yeah. Move wand. But I, I think this is probably real. Like it, it would make sense to me that there's a Mandalorian game because that's kind of the game that everybody wants anyway. You know, um, this type of like gadget-driven Star Wars game that I kind of think we were almost going to get with thirteen thirteen, but didn't. Mm. But you know, never got. So I'm leaning on real for this. I think like seventy five percent. Like I'm pretty confident that this is real. I'm kind of with you. I mean, maybe a little bit less certitude, but it just people are like, oh, it looks some people are like, it looks like shit. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It looks like an early build of a game. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looks right. like. I, have you ever played early builds of games? This is what it looks like. The game doesn't run well. It's not optimized. Everything's off. Right. Like there's but I agree with you. The HUD looks pretty good. There's actually a point that happens really quickly when he brings up what looks like a vertical radial for weapons as well. Mm -hmm. It just seems like there's a little bit more work in here than meets the eye. It, bring, it brings me back to some of the old spoofs that tricked people back in the day that I think of specifically the screenshot, as I brought up in the past of Gears of War Redux, which was supposed to be like the PS3 version of Gears of War. Now, we later found out that Gears of War actually was being ported to PS3 and is running on PS3, which is never released. And so I look at that and I'm like, that was pretty convincing. But that was one of those things where they took a screenshot of it to make it look like it was real. And so that's why I was wondering what the nature of this this footage is, but it seems like there's two people. I'm looking at it now. Seems like there's two people in front and I've I've frozen the last shot and there it clearly does. It says playing Star Wars, the Mandalorian on on Stadia. I right. just don't know if you can upload that kind of stuff. I don't I, I we don't put our games on Stadia. I have no idea how it works. So we would like to put our stuff on Stadia. I have no problem with that, but so we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Go look for it. Uh, now that I tweeted it out, I'm sure a lot of people will f find it and write stories about it and not credit us at all. All right. Uh, another story. This one was written by Bloomberg, but I just wanted to point this out real quick. Nothing huge. 
But you might recall 38 Studios. You guys remember 38 Studios. Of course, this was mm-hmm. the Rhode Island-based team that made Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And it was founded by Kurt Schilling, who was a famous baseball pitcher. 38 was his number, hence the name of the of the uh, studio. I knew people that worked there. Wonderful game came out. Electronic Arts published it in 2012. And then the company went bust because they invested all of their money into this MMO they were making called Copernicus that ended up melting down. And so they all got fucked. And the, the famous story about this that people might recall is that no one got their last paychecks. In fact, the scuttlebutt is that they discovered that the jig was up. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but people at 38 discovered the jig was up when one of their wives went to get like an appointment with their their OBGYN or whatever it was for their baby and their insurance bounced. And so they called and they're like, what's going on? Then everyone realized that no one was getting their checks. Everyone's insurance was canceled and so on and so forth. And it was a complete disaster. I just wanted to let everyone know that apparently they've sorted this out to such a degree that everyone who worked there at the time will get between 14 and 20 percent of their final paycheck nine years later. And it's funny because a lot of the the paychecks are just all being mailed to the the original address associated with each person. They didn't even go through the trouble of trying to find these people. That's so So, that's so fucked. So, yeah, it's just an interesting little (laughs) passing story. You guys might want to go read about. Also, Gearbox um, opened a new studio in quebec it'll be a 250 person strong canadian team this isn't a huge deal uh except for i thought it was interesting because now embracer has 78 studios ea recently announced that it's making its accessibility patents free for anyone to use them which i think is pretty cool yeah uh the list of patents include contextually aware communication systems systems and methods for automated image processes processing and various luminosities and rendering and all this and this really helps disabled gamers play and instead of making money on it they've decided to make that free so congratulations to them and the last thing i wanted to discuss here before we get into some brief reader inquiries john burton so john burton is the founder of traveler's tales this is the british studio that makes the lego games they're called tt now he hasn't been there since 2019 but he does this thing on youtube called coding secrets and he put this video up It's called, Did Sony Lie About SSD? PS3 could run PS5 Ratchet and Clank gameplay. Now, I thought this was pretty interesting because this is an expert programmer who worked at, who founded TT Games and worked there for 30 years. And we had discussed in the past that I had thought that maybe Ratchet could be ported to PS4. We were talking about that as a hypothetical because we're seeing all of this, right? This cross-generational stuff. This guy claims that it could run on PS3. And he actually shows an example of a Lego game that is doing basically what this game claims to do with its rift jumping. And I'm just curious, uh, Dustin, I don't know if you got a chance to, to watch this, but yeah, it's only six minutes long. I highly recommend it. What did you think of this? Um, this contention? I think that the truth is a little bit in the middle here, but I kind of think that this guy's kind of overblowing it which i'm i'm trying to think of like maybe he's right in that sony marketing was saying like this this type of gameplay is only possible on ps5 which then maybe it's like yeah he's got a point here's the thing that i think is interesting is that we're pulling this from the video game chronicle article the very last line of it says this claim was later dialed back somewhat after the game launched when game director Mike Daly told Axios, quote, you can make a new game like the new Ratchet and Clank on the PS4, but just visually speaking, you'd have to dial it back a ton in order to get it run. I misread that. That's the game director, not the guy that uh, made that video. 
Right. So it's it's the first and that's an article from July because it's because I remember at that time that was the first acknowledgement from some Sony source saying, no, the game will run on PS4. I mean, I think I think that's pretty obvious because what the TT Games guy is saying is like, listen, these are all tricks. It was what I said. I mean, I'm so I'm a layman. I mean, I make games, but I'm, I'm I write them. I don't you know program them. I'm not in the engine regularly and stuff like that. Yeah. But I could see, too. I'm like, this isn't what they said it was going to be. And 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 John Burton goes into why it was what I was saying. He said it a lot more eloquently, which is he was like, there's no choices. So it knows what you're going to do. Yeah. Right. Like there, that was the big thing. Did you what do you think of this, Chris? I mean, it, it's a very linear game. So obviously they can stretch it a lot further than you would be able to stretch something like Fallout or like Skyrim in, in, in that way where there's fast travel and that has to be taken into account. And it's open world and there's a lot of different choices and a lot of different trigger volumes that that uh, are activated at like, you know, in various different orders. I, I do know what he's saying. You could probably get Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart running on a PS3 if it looked if it ended up looking visually worse than the PS2 Ratchet and Clanks. I could see that right. being very possible. But I mean at a certain point like at a certain point what what is the lie, you know? Like I I don't I don't believe that you could get Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart running on a PS3. Like I don't I in the same capacity that it, that it runs at and with the same even if you dialed back the visual fidelity and the frame rate down, like there's only so much of that that people are willing to accept before they're forced to admit like, oh, yeah, this this isn't working. You know, like you could get it running if it looked like if, if Ratchet looked like eight squares, you know, <laughs> right. but like, but are you going to play that? Like, I don't, probably not. Right. Right. So I don't know. I feel like this is kind of semantic. You know, like it's it's all semantic. It's like, oh, well, you could like, yeah, you could do a lot of things. But yeah. would you settle for that? You know, mm. you probably wouldn't. Right. Mm. Well, and one other thing I just wanted to add, his point is that like a PS3, you can load something into RAM in the background. And then mm. when you get there, it swaps over and you load into that. So when I was doing some research on this, because it's really interested me earlier today, is that in the Digital Foundry video where they interviewed the head of the technical aspects of the game, he said, we're loading entire levels. Our entire level is taking up all 16 gigs of the PS5's uh, RAM, and then it swaps them out with the SSD. So theoretically, you could do this on PS4, but let's say you're running two levels and you've got eight gigabytes of SSD and you need to load both of them. Then you're Then you're down to four gigabytes on each level whereas opposed to on ps5 you have the entire 16 so we're talking a magnitude less that's not even considering like the os running on ram or any kind of engine level stuff like so it's it's like chris said it theoretically could be done and that's why i think he has a point that sure it, yeah maybe P the sony marketing was a little extreme but again it's like what what would it really look like at the end of the day having this running on ps4 or yeah. ps3 for his argument's sake yeah right, and, and right. what would what would it what would the play experience be i mean like i i remember when we were talking about ratchet and clank when it was out and it was like kind of fresh and i remember being like yeah like the the rift stuff is cool but it's not ex that in and of itself isn't even exactly a new thing like we saw similar things in video games for a while like i mean titanfall 2 had that like standout standout level 
right. where you're just shifting back and forth and, and it's like it's really cool. So that type of stuff is possible. It's just a matter of like the way that they're doing it. And I think that's what they're talking about really when they say that this is only possible on PlayStation 5. It's not that – it's not about what's happening. It's about how and the amount of power that's needed to do it in that way. Um, whether or not that matters to the player at the end of the day, if like what they're getting is ostensibly the same from their perspective, like that's a conversation. But I don't think there's any doubt that it's impressive that uh, Ratchet and Clank is able to do what it does in the way that it's doing it. Right. And because to the there's scale. no way a PS4 could do it. Yeah. In that way. I, I just thought it was interesting simply from the perspective of, well, kind of to to tie it to earlier conversations we had around when Ratchet came out, but. I guess it kind of just fed this own narrative I had in my mind that this is not all it, it's cracked up to be, certainly. Like, oh, yeah. Because a lot of people have called out like that, that when we saw in the trailer, like uh, Ratchet going from rift to rift, like that's not a choice, right? I, I think that's what his video is saying. He's like, it's not like you're now, now you have five rifts and you get to choose one of them and it instantaneously loads. It knows exactly what you're doing. Yeah, it's a so, linear sequence. Right. So from that perspective, I just thought it was interesting and it, and it did kind of confirm at least somewhat what I was saying to me, which was that this is really cool. I think 2016 Ratchet's a better game. I've said that, but it was a very cute, very charming game. But um, I don't think it was like all it was cracked up to be personally. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right. Uh, Andres wrote in with this interesting point that has been making the rounds. Chris, I want to know what you think of this first. He says, hey, Sigma males, do you think there's any credence to the idea that new Call of Duty games install sizes are intentionally left to be large? You guys always mention that we have so many games competing for our time. What better way to limit a player's options than by having an install size so large it forces them to uninstall the competition? This has been making the rounds a lot. I've heard this rumor before, but it seems to be percolating again. Yeah. And I actually do not hate the theory, although I don't think it's necessarily true. But it's what we say, like games are becoming smaller. I've used specific examples of PS4, PS5 cross gen games where they are smaller on PS5. Yeah than they are on PS4, the package files. When you download them on PS4 and PS5, you can see it for yourself. Call of Duty games are getting more and more bloated. You would, and I've said, and I was wrong, that I'm like, I assume Call of Duty is just going to become much smaller. I thought that they would start releasing patches. In fact, that would start making the actual file smaller, even though it is a new patch. That's never come to be, and now these things are taking up hundreds of gigs on people's machines. Do you think it's intentional, or do you think that it's just the way it is? I don't think it's intentional. Like I, I like the theory. It's like a fun kind of like conspiracy because <laughs> it it does make sense in like a weird, like obtuse way. It's like, yeah, we're going to make people uninstall Destiny and like all these <laughs> and all these <laughs> other games. But 
Call of Duty is so big that I don't think they have to think about that, you know? I, I don't think that they even... I don't think that they think about things in that way. I think they think that they're the top dog because they are, and they probably don't have to really... They, I don't think they feel like they have to conspire. I, I think, um, I think because I remember this was a this was a problem originally with the original Titanfall as well, and I I know that that's obviously you know respawn and and you know, but those are ex Call of Duty people, so I wonder if like maybe just that kind of uh, just that way of doing things, that way of like uncompressing files or like not compressing files in the first place, you know, and just uploading the package as is is just kind of like a tradition that just exists within the company that just hasn't been rectified that seems more likely to me than they're conspiring to steal space when they don't have to because they're call of duty and they sell millions even when they Mm. suck Mm. I, i just i don't know i don't i don't i don't buy it although it is fun to think of like to think of uh sledgehammer or infinity ward is like just like doing doing these like weird shady like (laughs) take up 400 gigs this time yeah i feel like it's a deterrent for a lot of people actually i feel like i feel like it hurts them more than it helps you know well dustin that seems like that's what what i was gonna say yeah go on yeah i mean to me it's a double-edged sword if this is the theory or if this is the conspiracy because there's been many times where i've been invited to come back and either play war zone or cold war or something I'm like sorry i need half a day to install that <laughs> before i can do that again and play just because i can't justify keeping something like that on my console that i'm just gonna hop into once every other month and so maybe if it was smaller i would hop back in every once in a while and maybe that would make me buy get interested and who knows but the barrier, at least for me, is is too high to keep that on all the time. The second thing, just real quick, what I was thinking is that we're talking about the, the overall size. I wonder if it has something to do with the ability to update the game quickly because mm, these mm, games get mm. compressed down. There are shared assets between campaign and multiplayer or whatever, but I know that uh patching is not as simple as it might seem to the the layman like us so i don't know it is interesting how it's not gotten any smaller which i wonder if it's a remnant since this call of duty game is still coming to last gen with ps4 and xbox but Mm. i kind of i don't know we'll have to see when we get the first truly ps5 series x only call of duty uh if that has something to do with it but i really don't know that's a good point, because you would assume even if for, with the SSD, even if an asset was shared, it shouldn't matter now. Right. So which would make the, the file smaller. So I think you might be right about the cross generational stuff, too. I think at the very I don't think it's true per se, but I think at the very at very best, you could say probably is something along the lines of like, well, why would we make it smaller when it's going to allow you to delete it more easily and all of that? There's just no no impetus for us to do it, although you hear a lot of complaints but I guess they're, they're seeing it as not prohibitive necessarily. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Elliot at Liberated Sun wrote in and said, question for Dustin and Chris. What would it require for you to start trophy hunting to the severity that Colin did? Dustin, let's start with you. What would it require for you to start trophy hunting with what he calls the severity? Well, I think Elliot, uh, what, do you, what you need to understand is that I once, maybe not never to Colin severity, but I was once a trophy hunter 
and I've left that that life behind. And it was after too many bad trophy hunts where at the at the end when that when that trophy pops, I don't feel I didn't feel satisfied anymore. Mm. I felt frustrated and kind of annoyed. And eventually I just decided I can't do this anymore. I I'd rather play more games. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a stylistic choice, like b- between how Colin and I play games. Colin talks about how diving into a few smaller or a few games and going in deep where I will complete a lot of the games that I that I check out. But I'll check out. I'll probably I probably check out a lot more games than Colin does. And that's just a a choice on how we want to play. Indeed. Indeed. How about you, Chris? What, you want to get in back in? you would have to um you would have to go back in time and stop me from ever playing cloning clyde and then maybe i would still (laughs) maybe i would still be collecting trophies and achievements to this day but that game ruined it for me because on the 360 specifically like the way they do achievements is a little bit different than trophies they have gamer score specifically so you get like five points or ten points or 20, or like 50, or 100, is usually, it's like pretty even, but Cloning Clyde was this like weird indie game that did this annoying thing, where every, there was, there were these achievements that were like, three, and like, (laughs) seven, and I remember like getting an achievement, and seeing like my number, just like a mess of just like uneven shit, and I was like, oh no, (laughs) this is so painful to me. Mm. that i cannot deal with and i specifically like played that game avoid it i looked up the achievements list and made sure i didn't get any achievements aside from one that would put me back on even and then i got that (laughs) achievement and deleted the game and then like after that i just i couldn't bring myself to do it even then after that i would only play games that i would make sure unless it was like some big game but big games don't usually do this unless i wouldn't play a game unless i could make sure that they didn't have this weird bullshit like three seven nine point yeah i remember i remember some early on had one i remember that being a controversial thing where it was like one infuriating yeah. it was like people i think people were just kind of figuring it out at that time like yeah. not really knowing what to do and then i don't know that you see that too much anymore that's interesting i i would say for me i'd have to go back and hit my head in a different way i guess as a kid because i'm so ocd i was thinking about it recently that it really makes perfect sense that i found my way to trophies it just when I when I consider just the way I operate and the things I like to do, I'm really into statistics and organization and collecting things and and completing sets. And so this was but what's so interesting is that when achievements came out, because I was writing strategy guys, I wrote a ton of strategy guys on Xbox 360. I just didn't give a fuck. I hated achievements. I hated them. And then for some reason, the trophies came and, and it just I didn't care about them at first either. And then. For some reason, something clicked to me where I'm like, oh, this seems because I was thinking about remember Foursquare. I mean, it still exists, but 10 years ago, yeah. I was like so obsessed with Foursquare. Not the the, the bad. The, the game is fun, obviously, when you play with a ball, but Foursquare, the app where you would like log in or check into places and become the mayor of the various places you'd go and stuff. It all is interconnected <laughs> to me. All right. Seth Bain has the final question before we get into what we're playing. He says, all right, boys, let's talk about the thermostat. What temperature, what temperature do you prefer? And have you had any disputes with roommates and or family regarding the temperature? Personally, I prefer a broad range of 68 degrees to 72 degrees, but my roommate likes it closer to 77 or 78. Like she's a goddamn bearded dragon. We live in Texas. 
where it's close to 95 degrees 11 months of the year. Keep it cool, guys. This is a great question, actually, because this is a, a dispute in my own house. And I'm wondering, uh, Chris, what what is your comfortable thermostat temperature? I, I would say like it's usually 68 to 72. I think that's mm. my comfortable range. You know, yeah. I like to I like it to be cool, you know, because right. outside is warm enough in Los mm. Angeles. Like I don't need mm. if I want to be warm for a little bit, I'll step outside and it's no problem. And even in New York, most of the most of the year, you could do that pretty reliably as well. I don't know. I just I can't I don't understand the desire to keep it like really warm in a place that's already in a warm place. You know, like sure. like there's so many there's a fireplace in my apartment right now in in, in this Los Angeles apartment. I'm like, why? <laughs> what could you possibly it's insane. There's like central heating in some apartments as well over here and no central air. It's like, what do you what, are you insane? This yeah. Is baffling. Open a window, dude. It's crazy that people I, I mean, I was blessed to have lived in L.A. only at a place with central air. But yeah. I knew people without central air and even some people without AC at all. And I'm like, I don't understand. That doesn't even seem like it's possible. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, no one has AC and you actually don't need it because yeah, yeah. it's just so cool there which I know surprises a lot of people. Uh, Dustin, what's your comfort zone? I'm pretty close to Chris as well. And, you know, around 70, you know, maybe on a hot day, if I'm outside, I'll come come in and click that down a little bit to 68. The more contention in my house comes to when it's cold outside and we need to heat up the house because, I don't know, every year I just, I become more like my dad and I'm like, we're not turning on the heat until October 1st, period. And it never happens. I try every year to see if we can do it, but I'm like very much the guy that's like, dude, put on, put on a sweatshirt, get a blanket. Let's go. We're keeping this heating bill down this year. So, but yeah, I, I like it on the cooler side always. So, yeah, me too. I, I, um, so in, in my house, Micah likes it warm, like in the seventies, that's not acceptable to me. I mean, I can't, downstairs we have we have zoned air in my house so oh. downstairs uh we keep it on 70 or 72 upstairs we keep it on 70 but i drop it upstairs to 65 when i go to sleep and uh like it nice and cold very nice up here yeah and then you wake up and you're fucking freezing it's but i love <laughs> i love i love sleeping in the cold it's just nice something about being bundled up and i also like being a little cold inside where i put on a sweatshirt yeah you know like i like having the, it's hot out it's cool inside, a little too cool. Put on the sweatshirt. Very yeah, comforting. Yeah. It, it yeah. is nice. It, it It's also just like, I don't know, like I, I'm I can't sleep unless I have like a like I can't do like the blanket thing. I need a quilt or like a like a thick like blanket to mm -hmm. sleep. Like I can't do like that thin sheet. Like the fuck is that? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I can't even, do I don't it. even have the sheet on the bed. I have the sheet like that's over the bed, but yeah, I don't yeah. have the sheet. No, I, I don't have the, the sheet either. I got rid of it. It's yeah. like useless. This yeah. is dumb. But Horrible. like, but like, yeah, you can't. I like to be able to like bundle up and then wake up and not be, you know, having a heat stroke, you know, so. Well, that would be keep, ideal. Keep that AC on. Blast it forever. Indeed. The Earth's dying anyway. Who cares? Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that. 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, let's get into what we're playing. Uh, let's start with Dustin. Uh, we all are playing quite a few things here, so we have a lot to talk about. Dustin, let's yeah. uh, kick it over to you. Take it in whatever order you'd like. So as I mentioned last week, I purchased It Takes Two during the podcast when Chris was talking about it. And Holly and I are absolutely loving this game. This game is going to be... I'm not, it's not like my game of the year, but it is going to be one of the best games I've played this year, no doubt. And Holly totally agrees. And that's the best part is that there's no need to convince her to, to play this game. It's just, I was trying to think of how to say this concisely. And a lot of co-op games are two people often doing the same thing or a very similar thing in order to achieve a goal. But this game over and over specifically gives you and the other person different tasks that then you have to work together in very unique ways in order to achieve the goal, which I guess the name of the game is It Takes Two. But it's so different than other co-op games I've played before. And this game just repeatedly has new ideas every level where I'm like, oh, it's like one of those games. You're like, oh, this is neat. This is cool that they thought of this. And yeah. it runs great. We're playing it on on PS5 and we're playing it split screen, which I know that there's a way that you can play over uh, the internet or whatever, PSN. And this game is just absolutely delightful. I got it for only $25 and it's worth more than that. I'm not done with it yet. Uh, it, I'm surprised how long it is. It keeps going, but mm -hmm. not in a bad way. I'm like, wow, I kind of, I don't know if it was just because I expected it to be a little shorter because as a co-op game but there's a, a lot of content there the last thing i will say is that this isn't necessarily a a casual game and that's one of its greatest assets to me is that if you are very much into games and you're thinking wow this will be a great way to get my you know my wife my husband my my son oh my. or daughter who's not into games to play this isn't it no. So Holly, who is experienced, who's like she's beat Breath of the Wild and Dragon Quest, like she knows games pretty well. There's been a couple of instances that she's had some some difficulties. So I think it's a great asset because it doesn't feel like uh, an e like a, a casual game in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. It's like a so. nice level of challenging where it's not like too ridiculous, but it's still like it's still mechanically 
complex enough to be engaging and interesting and none of the none of the levels are like uh interesting twists on gameplay mechanics last too long to be like to overstay the right. welcome there it's like really well paced yeah yeah i'm glad you like it yeah this it's it's so good i i the only thing that i would say that is kind of negative is that some of the so the two main characters can get like a little i don't want to say annoying but they very easily rest into their two types and you almost yeah, yeah. can predict what they're gonna say that's so true. but that highly recommend it and then i'm still continuing my halo playthrough finish two it was awesome i'm now on three which i've only played i think i've only played this game one time when it came out as far as the campaign maybe twice then but i'm having an absolute blast and i'm kind of not dreading halo four and five but i just i know that i'm in the the peak right now yeah. playing three so you're in the pocket uh, you know, it's it's very good and then of course ghost tsushima iki island this one i've played the least and it is very good it is more ghost of tsushima so if that's what you're looking for that is exactly what it is i've done i don't know maybe four or five of the main missions and a couple of the side missions and it looks great on ps5 i don't i'm still unsure about the ten dollar upgrade because it looked really good before that also but it's uh it's probably worth the money. I'm going to keep playing it. I want to I'm going to finish it, but there's nothing about it that's like blowing me away like whoa, this reinvents goes to Tsushima. It's just way whoa, it's uh it's very good. Whoa. It's just uh just good. Cool. I've heard that too that it's just more ghosts, which is fine. I kind of wonder I'm kind of not into it like I want to buy <clears throat> excuse me, I want to buy it. I want to play it, but I just am more attracted to standalone DLC that's like a little more buffed out. Yeah. I was kind of hoping they were going to do something a little bit more like infamous where there would be mm. something like a campaign, but also a reason to keep coming back. Remember, you keep going back. I forgot the female antagonist name, but you keep going to that arena and fighting her. Yeah. And you like build up your score. So there was like some. Re but I guess that's kind of like what Legends is. That's free. So they're trying to do some stuff there over at Sucker Punch. I appreciate it. It's on the list. I don't know when I'm going to get to it. I just am not a DLC person. Well, I, I'm done. I'm done with Ghost of Tsushima. You know, like I'm done with it. I don't want to. I don't want to play it again. It was great. Here's the thing, Colin, but too, is that I don't want to play it. Dude, yeah, go ahead. it's hard when you when you come back to the game. It's as if uh, like they I don't know if it ramped up the difficulty or if I'm just completely don't even remember how to play. But I was like, man, I got to put this on easy mode, at least for a little bit while I <laughs> re-remember how to play the game. And that's kind of the frustrating part about some DLCs to me is I was like, man, I get it that they want it to be an expansion of the main game. But at the same time, like so many people are coming back and then they're just hitting a wall instantly because they I don't know. Maybe you should replay the beginning part of the game in order to do it. But that's also kind of I don't want to do that. So I'm just suffering yeah. a little bit. Well, I understand that. I. I am thinking about playing Horizon again oh. because I never played the Frozen Wilds DLC. Yes. Plus, there are new game plus trophies and stuff like that. But and I think very hard trophies or something. But I think what they need to do. I mean, this is just for me as a trophyite. But give us some more. You know, like if you gave me more, you got you let all these companies get away with all of this nonsense on with their trophies. Just absolute nonsense. <laughs> Five minute platinum trophies, all the rest. So what is wrong with you releasing the Frozen Wild with a platinum trophy? What's wrong with you releasing Iki Island with a platinum trophy? Like, why not? I mean, it's how is that not not more valid 
than this bullshit. And now they're even getting crazier with it by bouncing the games between PS4 and PS5, just like we do with PS3 and Vita. So you're just popping the trophies twice. So that's the one thing for me where I'm like, give me a little bit more of the metagame incentive and I'll, I'll go back. But otherwise, I've moved on. I haven't played Ghost of Tsushima in, in a year, probably. You know, like I don't want to. <laughs> it's just there are like so many other games to play, but I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. We have to do a spoiler cast for that at some point. So maybe we'll we'll put that on you, Dustin. Cool. And, that, and that'll be it for you. No Sounds choice. Good. Chris, you are playing a couple of games as well, including one that I'm actually really interested in. So, but talk to us in any order that you want. Yeah. So I'll start with uh, 12 minutes. Yes. That's which the one. is mm. uh, this. It's this uh, over like top down point and click kind of choose like kind of narrative driven game where you like make choices and it's like a time loop game. It's got like all these big name actors. It's got Willem Dafoe. It's got Daisy Ridley. It's got James McAvoy all taking place in this like kind of central apartment and it's a point and click and it's infuriating. It's yes. I hate yeah. I gen I sincerely hate it, uh, which is wild. <laughs> why, because, why? Why? Well, it feels like this. So it's so hard to explain why it's so infuriating, but like a lot of the times when you have a game that's like driven by actors and you have like, hey, here's here's this Hollywood actor. You, you're kind of expecting a level of polish in the narrative mm. that is just not there. And it's like really confusing. It's not that anybody's doing like a bad job. Like, I think that all the actors are doing exactly what they need to do. But the way that they coded it is weird because you'll select something and then James McAvoy will turn around and he'll be like, so you're a terrible person, aren't you? And, 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 and it's like, what? And the delivery's weird. And then like sometimes uh, the characters will act as if information that had been talked about before is suddenly like new and they'll have like a completely different mood and it's it, it's just kind of like clumsily put together. And then the point and click logic, I know point and click logic has already been kind of like stretched and like very bizarre, like throughout the history of point and click games. It's like, oh, combine the worm with the lantern to make a flashlight. And you're like, OK, but this is an extra layer where it all takes place in like maybe like three rooms. So it's extra infuriating when you find this one thing that you like had no reason to assume like why would dragging a knife to a dresser open up a vent underneath it that isn't interactable this is adventure game shit i can't that's, it, this is adventure game shit i just that's why i just don't like adventure and, games I mean, you're and, explaining that and it's a time loop so like if you fuck up you only have like 12 minutes i think it's actually probably like less than that is in, it real in, time i think it's less than that in real time i'm mm. fairly certain i feel like 12 minutes would be like a bit much but it's less than that in the game but you only have that much time to figure out what you need to do and if you don't figure out what you need to do you need to start it all over again which means you have to have the same conversations again which means you need to have the same narrative happening over and over again and like trying different things and like i get that that's like fun for people i don't understand how because I'm just listening to the same lines of dialogue over and over again. And it's infuriating and it gets boring and it gets it's so grating. I, I wouldn't say that this is like a bad game, but it's one that I just cannot. I cannot appreciate whatever this game is doing because I've seen some people say like it's great. You know, I know like there are people who I 
whose opinions on video games that I res- I respect a great deal, and I, I looked up their opinions on it after I was after I had decided that I was like, you know what, <laughs> I'm fucking, I can't do it. I wonder what people are saying, and it's like super mixed. Like some people are like, this is terrible. Other people are like, this is genuinely fantastic. It's like a work of art, and it's like it's it's interesting as a video game and that's probably the best thing i could say about it is i don't know how your average player or your average even listener of this podcast will react to this game if they choose to check it out it's free on game pass that's the way that i would recommend you play it yeah but fair enough i don't know man it's it's a rough one it has a pretty pretty good metacritic score of 79 i think or 76 i'm looking at it right now yeah on xbox series x but it's this if I were I think it's what one dude that made it right uh, Luis Antonio but <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I were if I were him I'd be like ah you fuckers because there's like all these nines and then like some fives or whatever and so it seems like it's a divisive it's a divisive game like that but it is intriguing I just I was reading one of the review right like one of the write-ups for the reviews and they were saying that there was this other guy that worked at Ubisoft I think with Luis Antonio at one time and and was were saying that they wanted to create or there was this idea to create i guess a game that was just a city street because of the mechanical depth that would be allowed if you just focused Mm -hmm. in this one place and so you would expect even reducing that more that you would have unreal depth that every if you're if you as a developer you're obsessing over this apartment yeah from a top-down perspective obsess over every inch of it right in the real world and have it all contained so that it would be executed flawlessly i think this is why a game like Gone Home, in my opinion, shines so well, although I know you don't agree, while others um, fall by the wayside and why typically the adventure genre is just yeah. a dead end for me. Because it requires this lo- beliefs of logic where I'm like, I, do- I remember thinking that when I was a little kid playing on Apple II and, and yeah. 386 PCs where I'm like, I don't understand why in Maniac Mansion this means this. How am I supposed to know that? That's why I always deferred to action games. I, I knew friends that would play these fucking PC games where it'd be like, you'd have to type shit in like, playing King's Quest or something. And it's like open chest, open door, oh, pick up sword. It's like, what yeah, is this? Text-based yeah. uh, adventure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun, but I mean, it's, fu- well, it's funny. I don't know if it's well, fun. I-, I will say, man, Gone Home is 100 times better than 12 minutes. Like, I-, I enjoyed my time with Gone Home way more than I enjoyed my time with 12 minutes. And, you know, that's my opinion. I'm sure, like, a ton of people are going to write in and be like, I, I loved it. And they're like, thank Well, don't write. I'm it's glad. not a PlayStation game, so may- we'll not talk about it here. But maybe when we... It's on PlayStation, though, isn't it? No, not, not yet. yet. It, Wait, I'm is sure it really it not? Be. No. It's just on PC and Xbox? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Xbox I thought that's the whole reason I, whole reason I brought it up. Oh, no, it's okay. We can talk about whatever we want on the show. I'm just saying we'll wait to have deeper fan conversations until the game comes i don't i don't see why it wouldn't come right, over. right and i when it does i will play because it, it it is intriguing you know what was intriguing to me about it i don't know if you guys saw this but the one thing was that hideo kojima had said that it's like one of the best games he's played in years and i was like okay <laughs> and I'm, I'm we'll get into something i'm playing of his in a moment but you're also playing uh chris destiny 2 season of the lost yeah what do you have to say about that yeah it's a new destiny season we're obviously going to talk a little bit more about destiny later on in the show but so I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it's it's a new season. There's like a whole balancing shift. There's some new story stuff that's happening. It's it's fun. I, I, Destiny's really found a, a nice cadence for me, where like I, I I jump in and I I do a lot of activities and and I have a good time, and then I just sort of like all right, I, I've I've fulfilled the amount of you know I've I've done what I need to do. I've had my fun. I'm gonna put it down for a little while and then like play some other stuff and you know just 
delve into some other stuff and then the new season starts and it's got all this new shit and it's 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 it actually is like a really genuinely good and feature rich seasonal model that i feel like they've they've stumbled into uh they found their cadence they found a good rhythm and it's it's still destiny 2 but it's also still fun and it's it's still engaging the narrative is finally like at this place where it's actually building and actual characters are interacting and it's been that way for like a i think the last like few seasons but it's nice to see it continue and obviously with the witch queen coming later that's a whole nother thing but it's it's good it's still destiny 2 it's still good i'm enjoying it excellent yeah like you said we'll talk more about destiny 2 a little bit later there's much more to say about it yeah as for me i have a trio of games to talk about so ender lily's quietest of the nights i've been talking about for a little while this japanese metroidvania Played it for a couple weeks, uh, spent about 25 hours with it, and I finally beat it and then platinumed it. There are three endings, so I did uh, all three endings in very Castlevania-like uh, fashion. I wrote on, when I, so I announced all my platinums, as I think the audience knows, on um, on Twitter. And I'm, I'm starting to use, in recent years, and I don't know if I've reflected on this publicly, but I'm starting to use Twitter more as like a journal. Because I've been going through my old tweets, and I've been slowly like just deleting a bunch of shit like I have a bunch of tweets that just to people like thanks or yes or like I'm giving away codes like I just don't want any of this stuff doesn't need to exist anymore but I'm going through and reading a lot of it and I'm like this is a really wonderful look back at my life <laughs> like that will just exist in perpetuity so I throw those platinums up there but when I did I said that it's basically Hollow Knight meets Castlevania Aria, Aria of Sorrow or Dawn of Sorrow maybe with a little bit of a Japanese twist and maybe like a splash of Limbo and it's a great game. I really highly recommend it. It's got an 89 Metacritic score. So it's it's no joke on that front if you care about uh, numeric criticism. But it's a really, really good Metroidvania. It's pretty. It's haunting. You play as a little girl who is actually not attacking anything. She uses these spirits she finds to attack for her. So when you hit, you know, you, you assign different buttons to them however you want. There are a few dozen of them. And that's why it's like Aria of Sorrow. And then so like you hit the attack button and she just stands there. She's just a little girl in a white dress and she just stands there. And then a knight like comes in front and like swipes and then disappears. Or a knight comes and like smashes a hammer and disappears and stuff like that. It's really cool. So highly recommend it if you are interested in Metroidvanias. And if you like Hollow Knight, I really think you're going to like this game. I don't think it's, as, it's not going to be as acclaimed as Hollow Knight. It's definitely not as good as Hollow Knight, but it's pretty close. I'm also playing Dodgeball Academia. Finally, I've been looking forward to playing this for a few weeks. This game was made in Brazil, which is really exciting because uh, we don't get very many games from Brazil. And it's just a very cute Japanese inspired role playing game, action role playing game where you are at a dodgeball academy and <laughs> you are just in a dodgeball team and you fight other dodgeball teams. And it's like you're in these battles and it's really cool. So like it's two on two or three on three and you can toggle between your characters and catch the ball as it comes to you. Everyone has like special attacks. You have hit points and magic points and you get experience points and you have a party and exploration side quests, all that. I'm a few hours in. It's really fun. I'm really liking it a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that this weekend. And then the third game, as I said earlier, I'm playing Kojima uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. I'm playing for knockback. And I wanted to read this letter from Sam War, who said, hey, CDC, started playing Supergiants Hades on PS5, and I'm loving it. I got to get to that. I mean, it's on my cross media bar. I originally played it on Switch and enjoyed the game. However, playing it on PS5 makes it hit differently. Was there a moment when this happened to you showing you a change in hardware and performance or controller input can make a, game, a good game into an amazing experience? I thought this was an interesting question, Sam, because 
a couple weeks ago, I had noted that I'd started playing Metal Gear Solid 2 on Vita and I just couldn't play it there. It just felt like shit. Like it really did. It just felt I couldn't believe how bad it was where I was like, I, I can't play this. Is this. Could it be that Metal Gear Solid 2 is out of my reach now? I remember being in 12th grade when it came out and just blazing through it and I just couldn't play it. So people were suggesting play it on PS3. So I plugged in my PlayStation 3. I haven't played a PlayStation 3 game since Bioshock Infinite, which I played over the holiday season for knockback last year. And so I had to update it. Then I had to update the store. Uh, then I had to go into the store and figure out if I own this game digitally. I don't because I own it physically, but it's at my brother's. Mm-hmm. So then I had to buy for $15. Thank God the PSN still accepts sales on PS3. I figured out how to find it. it the store is so bad on PlayStation 3 right now that I wonder if they're doing it on purpose. Dude, it takes like several minutes for the store to load. <laughs> like no joke where I was like, should I restart the console or then when I was in the store once it froze on me and you couldn't find the game by searching for Metal Gear Solid. You had to search for the game as Sons of Liberty. Then it would pop up. Oh, all my sorts, God. So I, after a, several hours, I finally got this thing from stem to stern. I finally got this thing downloaded on my console and I booted it up. I wasn't very hopeful. Two funny things happened. First of all, I had a save in, I guess, the transferring cloud from 2012. So that popped into my thing. But then I started a game and it was I was like, oh, there we go. (laughs) It just feels so much better. Metal Gear Solid 2 is still frozen in time. It doesn't have a 3D camera. You shoot with the square button. It's very weird. But yeah, man, Sam, to your question, I, I was really worried for a while. I'm like, wow, Metal Gear Solid 2 fell off a cliff at some point. Uh, over the last 15 or 20 years. That's like the I don't exact remember being this opposite. Bad. That's the exact opposite of my experience where I tried to play well, it on you, console and I hated it. Really? And then yeah. you played it on Vita because I couldn't hold what I was finding was I couldn't hold anyone up on Vita. Like really? I couldn't do it. You oh, know, really? like, no, I could only do it because uh, you use, you know, the, the first person camera then you have to hit the square button at the same time. There's like some weird thing. Oh, and it's because there's no it's just a button on Vita. It's not whatever the digital button. The, pre- the pressure sensitive? Yeah. So That's weird. I remember holding people up. But so like, I, well, I some people, I don't well, remember well, how this I is did a big, it, though. <laughs> well, this is a big controversy. Well, not controversy, but a lot of people talking about it online about being like, well, the Vita version is the one for me or the PS3 version is the one for me. And I'm like, man, the PS3 version made it so much better. And I'll save my Metal Gear Solid 2 talk for knockback. But I will say this. It looks pretty fucking good. I actually yeah. was really surprised. Now it's updated to, by Bluepoint yeah. to 1080. But I was really surprised and there was a lot of little graphical hitches and just touches where I'm like, this is really quite ahead of its time. And I'm looking forward to talking about it, but I'll save it for that. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Boys, we're an hour or so into the show, so let's get into the news. We have a big one up at the top. Number one, Horizon Forbidden West, the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, finally has a release date. It will launch on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on February 18th, 2022. Such a decision was clearly in the cards since around E3 when Sony's Herman Hulse, the head of Sony's first party studios, noted that they were undecided on the game's 2021 arrival. 
Forbidden West, which started development exclusively on PS4 before moving over to PS5 part of the way through, will launch nearly five years to the date. Uh, five years to the date, Horizon Zero Dawn came to PS4 in early 2017 and will be available for digital pre-order beginning in September. Additionally, Horizon Zero Dawn has been given a free patch that will bring it to 60 frames on PS5. Both Horizon games under development by Sony-owned Dutch studio Guerrilla marks the studio's first foray out of the FPS genre following a succession of Killzone titles at one time PlayStation's marquee shooter series. Forbidden West will be the first, uh, the next first or second party game launched from the Sony family. Samuel Mills wrote in and said, hello, gents. Hope you're all doing well. Don't know if you're doing a breakdown of Gamescom. We're really not. I mean, this comes from Gamescom and we're going to talk about a bunch of Gamescom announcements, but no Gamescom breakdown per se. Wanted to know what you thought about the release date for Horizon Forbidden West, though. Do you think they'll hit that date? Richard Hogue brought up the interesting point on Twitter that the lawyer in him wishes game devs would start using phrases more like plans to release or aiming to hit in regards to announcing release dates. Since so many games have been delayed this year, it might not be a bad idea, but also sounds like a bit of a cop out. Thoughts on this? Anyway, I'm personally excited they released a 60 frames patch for Zero Dawn. So, uh, Dustin, let's start with you on this one. What do you think? I, first of all, do I think that the to Samuel's question, do I think that this is really this is the release date? Yes, uh, I do think this is the release date. Also, I mean, I don't I'm not going to make it a column was right moment because I think it was obvious, but it's I was right. I mean, it's coming out five years almost to the date that the um, the original came out. Now, my theory about them releasing a director's cut or a PS5 native version may not be in the cards because of the 60 frames patch. I don't know. But what do you think about the date, the timing and all of the rest? Are you still looking forward to it? What do oh. you think? Yeah, definitely still looking forward to it. It it was interesting how they spun this on Keeley's thing because they were like, oh, we're happy to announce now that it's coming out in, in February. It was not an apology. It was very all all positive, which, again, it's like one of those things where it takes as much time as you need, but it was uh, just an interesting way that they nav- navigated around delaying it that I haven't seen quite before but yeah i mean this makes sense i think in particular where they they're in the netherlands right right they went into lockdown Mm -hmm. again after uh the last state of play so i can imagine that maybe if that wouldn't have happened maybe we would be playing this game uh this year but lockdown obviously slows down development probably quite a bit so the question, I guess, overall is how busy the first half of 2022 is going to be because it is getting stacked. And I mean, this happens every few years. You know, uh, we talked about the cycles of release dates and games coming out. It seems like 2022, I mean, obviously brought on by uh, a pandemic that has delayed a bunch of games. But in addition, it's it's year two of new hardware, which is also a busy time. So it's exciting. I I kind of uh, I look forward to the, the craziness in a way. I feel like in some sense that. Well, first of all, really nice insight about the Netherlands. I feel like at that time they gave themselves the appropriate wiggle room. And we had no we had discussed that ad nauseum at that time that I thought that they gave up the ghost at, at that point. When they said we don't know yet, I'm like, well, that means the game's coming out in 2022. There's just no way that you're not going to give knowing that you could or couldn't give yourself the wiggle room, knowing that you could or couldn't afford it. I don't know what you're trying to line up, <laughs> but I think that I think we're golden in that sense. Uh, and I'm excited to play the game in February. I note that a lot of people are concerned that there's no first or second party 
game coming out in the fall. But and this does suck. But I remind you that they typically do not release games in the fall. So or the winter. I mean, what what game came out in the fall or winter that you yeah. can even think of that was it's, important? It's usually like September, right? Like that's usually right. like the latest that they go. Like I think about Uncharted three coming out in November of 2011 that was huge playstation all-stars and but that was all that was like the ps3 era when you really think about the ps4 era i mean i don't know like well there were the launch games in 2013 and then 2014 2015 i mean i don't know I don't, it just doesn't seem like very much so i don't think in other words i don't think we're going to be very missing very much i'm not worried about that angle just wanted to throw that out there but chris what do you think about horizon forbidden west coming february 18th to ps4 ps5 are you looking forward to it? And how are you feeling about it reaching this date? Yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that they're going to reach it. Like um, I was actually looking up before you started reading about like like what the restrictions were in uh, in the Netherlands currently. And it's, you know, like clubs are still like closed and like people are still like currently like, you know, supposed to social distance. It's like it's definitely like a different situation over there than it is like in most places in the U.S. And, you know, I think the the little words there that he said like oh you know like plans to aiming to hit i feel like that's you know just in case things get worse which i don't i don't necessarily think they will but i i'm pretty confident that they're probably going to hit this date like i don't see yeah, any I, reason unless some crazy shit happens right which you know is always in the cards but we'll see yeah there's an there's an inter- a very short letter on playstation blog from um uh from matthias de young who is the director of the game and um yeah just says they were hugely impacted by the global pandemic and they're trying to trying to keep a healthy life work balance. Now there are by the time, well, not quite by the time this goes live, but a little bit after you can actually start pre-ordering it. So I just think that the cat's out of the bag. I think it's ready to go. Yeah, sure. And um, I'm not going to pre-order it until next year when it's ready to get downloaded to my console, but you can do that now. And again, remember the patch is available for you. If you want to play horizon, the original one on PS five, I believe that's in the PlayStation plus collection. So that would just be free for you. If you want a PS five, All right. I really want to know what you guys think of this one. Number two, it's been a long while, but the Saints Row franchise is finally coming back. The new game simply entitled Saints Row is under development at the studio known as Volition, the team long behind the Saints Row franchise going all the way back to the 2006 original, which never saw release on PlayStation. It's 2008 sequel Saints Row 2 did come to PS3, however, and Saints Row the third landed in 2011 on PS3. Saints Row 4 came to PS3 in 2013 and PS4 in 2015, and a spinoff called Agents of Mayhem launched in 2017. uh, This game, which was revealed for the first time at Gamescom, has long been rumored to be in development. Indeed, it probably entered development in 2018, which is why it's going to be ready so soon. It comes to both PS4 and PS5 on February 25th, 2022. As you may recall, Volition was once owned by the original THQ and was sold off to Coke Media for $22.3 million during the subsequent bankruptcy proceedings. Along with the Volition acquisition came the Saints Row IP, and it's now technically back with THQ since Coke Media was the keeper of the THQ Nordic name and has since been folded into the expansive Embracer Group. Volition, which was also at one time in charge of the early PS2 RPG franchise Summoner and the Red Fraction uh, Red Faction FPS series, there should be a, a math game called Red Fraction. <laughs> Red Fraction, hasn't put out a game since 2017 and is likely aiming to fill in the gap left behind by the absence of titles like Grand Theft Auto, which Saints Row was in many ways modeled upon. So, well, let's go. Let's just go to Joshua Anderson right away, who wrote into us on Patreon and says, sup, fellas, did you guys watch the new Saints Row reboot trailer? And if so, what are your thoughts? To me, it feels like they are finally going back to the formula that made Saints Row 3 one of my all time favorite games. With GTA six years out and GTA five on constant re-release, this feels like the perfect opportunity to find footing. And it also has a shot of being Embracer Group's biggest franchise and moneymaker. 
Anyway, thoughts. Thank you, Joshua, for writing in. Chris, what do you think about this? I, I um, I was happy to see this because I feel like when you really look at all of the studios that Embracer ended up owning, and when you think about Deep Silver and THQ Nordic and kind of the early Embryonics post-THQ era, Volition was the big team. If people remember, Volition was like the really big thing that was available. Yeah. And it was like red fat. If people remember the fire sale, like we, it was actually quite, quite interesting because companies were publicly bidding on IP on studios and all the rest and THQ Nordic or what would become THQ Nordic ended up getting Volition Saints Row, Red Faction and all the rest. And then Volition kind of just went silent. I mean, they they made Saint uh, they made that Agents of Mayhem game. No one really liked. People have been waiting for them to come back and do this. I think it's pretty cool. Um, And I agree with Jeshua that this is a chance for them to get into a Grand Theft Auto mold in their own way, which is what the original attempt was, of course. Although I disagree with what he's saying, because a lot of people are saying that this reminds them more of the first two Saints Row games, not the third one. But anyway, I'll let you take it however you want. Yeah, I I'm a little conflicted on this because part of me is like, yeah, okay, so it's good to see Saints Row back because I know a lot of people have been wanting Saints Row back. And I know that there is a hole in single player open world kind of like GTA style games that we used to have kind of like a lot of. And now we don't really, especially with GTA on constant GTA online service. This is a good chance for Saints Row to exist again at the same time. Personally, I always found like the goofy, the goofiness and the absurdity of Saints Row fun, but not necessarily like super engaging. Like I, I, I appreciated it and it was like ridiculous. And it's like, oh, look, I have a big silly mascot head on. This is fun. <laughs> and uh, I it just kind of felt not like a one trick pony, but it felt like I, it didn't really have much else outside of the absurdity to it and when i saw the dude in the trailer put on his like watchdogs 2 like helmet with like the little like emoticon on it i'm just like ah i've seen this like a million times in the last like 10 years like this this weird like absurdist art style and and just like the wackiness i've I've seen this this is like every Fortnite skin <laughs> for the last like several years and i know that they kind of pioneered that in a weird way i understand that like right. saints row 3 was kind of like the first time that, that was really like common to see like oh this game's not taking itself too seriously and it's like silly and wacky and like so it has a lot of leeway in that sense where they're not necessarily like copying so much as they are just like doing what they've always done But to me, as like someone who's like a bit of an outsider, it just looks like more of what I'm already kind of sick of. It's I don't know. Like, I'm happy that Saints Row is back. It's a very important game, especially for Volition and especially for that publisher. And I know it's got a lot of got a lot of a lot of fans and I'm sure it'll probably be very good. It's just I don't know if this CGI trailer did anything for me. I think I'd rather wait until there's actual gameplay that I can look at and kind of get a f- understanding of how the game feels to play. And like, maybe then I'll start to feel a little bit differently. But for right now, Saints Row is cool, but not never really been my thing. Yeah, I under- it's funny. It feels like I didn't know you at that time, but it feels like a game that helped. That I think you would agree helped pioneer or 
identify Xbox 360 mm. specifically because that game to me and I, I had forgotten about this, but it never came to PlayStation 3. It just never came. The original, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's it would be cool for them to release those two games. They obviously did release Saints Row the Third again, which was cool. I, I would like to go back and play it because that's the only one I ever even delved any any with any depth into. Yeah. And then they did get out of hell and all that kind of stuff after Saints Row 4. But uh, Dustin, what's your what are your thoughts here on the ri- the re-rise of Volition? Good to see them back on the scene. It's, it's nice to see people excited for a Volition game for the first time in a long time. And um, yeah, I feel like I feel like now is the time like people want. Grand- it's just kind of shocking how there are no Grand Theft Auto games. But I, I don't know what is going on, but people have a, cr- a craving for a ballad of gay Tony, a craving for you know, a GTA five style DLC pack. If they're not going to give it to them, then at least give us a little something different. And Saints Row to me always seemed like to be one of those parallels. We got a lot of them, right? Like Godfather and all these other random games. Mafia was one of them as well. But I just always felt like this one was kind of most akin to it. Right. I'm kind of in this almost the exact same boat as Chris, where I, I've tried to get into these games like, uh, the, the one I put the most amount of time into was Saints Row the third. And I think that this is, it's clearly, if we think about games as a product, it's clearly meets a demand that we've been discussing this idea of a, a more frequent Grand Theft Auto style game that comes out. To me, and for my personal taste, it's just like doesn't even come close to the quality of a Grand Theft Auto game or what I'm looking for, I guess, out of that. Like... Saints Row is perfect for the people that love to go and play GTA games and fuck around in the city and love the wild, wacky aspects of it. And I, I get into that as well to an extent. Also a good, also a good checkbox game. Right. Right. To me, it's more akin to like, I mean, now I guess you could say, I don't want to say like watchdogs because watchdogs also kind of was like doing its own style. I guess when we define a GTA style game. We think of open world city with cars, right? And now yeah. we've kind of that genre, not genre, but that type of game has, there's a lot more of them now. I kind of would have liked them to do something new, but I guess they tried something new with agents of mayhem and it didn't work out. So it's like, well, we might as well go back to the well and make the fifth saints row game. But again, I think this is, looks like a great, product that a lot of people will go for because they're looking for that gta style game it doesn't appeal to me really at all yeah i can understand that again to chris's point too it's a cg trailer we don't know what the game's going to look like but it when i saw that because we knew saints row was going to come back at some point i mean the the rumors have been percolating for a while volition exists and hadn't done anything in a long time so we knew that this was going to happen but it was just i was kind of like yeah this is great february so february Late February, we're going to be able to play it. I'm going to play it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Number three, a new Marvel game is coming to consoles, though it may not be what you'd expect unless you've been paying attention to rumors over the last few months. The game is called Midnight Suns, and it's an XCOM-like turn-based strategy game developed by 2K-owned team Firaxis. Aiming for launch on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 in March of 2022, this game is notable for many reasons, among them the fact 
that this is only the second time in Firaxis's 25 plus year history that it will develop, develop and simultaneously release a game on both PC, where it's best known, and console. The only other Firaxis game to be released on all platforms simultaneously prior to this was when XCOM 2 came out in 2016. Firaxis, which was also a notable develop, a supporter of Vita with games like the original XCOM and Civilization Revolution 2, is perhaps best known for its long-running Civilization series, the sixth of which came to PS4 in 2019, though that series did start with Microprose before Firaxis even existed. This title does, however, mark publisher Take-Two's first foray into the Marvel gaming market, one that has seen Sony, Square Enix, and Nintendo all do well to varying degrees, especially Sony, which is essentially tied in with Spider-Man, and with that series being one of PlayStation's most popular. I didn't see this when I watched, by the way, that Spider-Man trailer, which was fucking cool. I will say. A very cool trailer. Loved yeah. it. And I don't even I haven't even seen all these Spider-Man movies. But when I saw the uh who is that Dr. Octopus? Yeah. Is that who that is? Yeah, I was like that's pretty fucking from cool. the original. Like that. I'm yeah. so I'm so pumped for I, I hate it. I hate that I'm excited. <laughs> but now uh, now brief aside, do you think he's talking to Toby Maguire? Cuz that's what everyone was was thinking, right? I think so, which would yeah, make me pretty, very happy. But pretty cool. I like that a lot. So I agree with you on that. That has nothing to do with what we're saying here, though I just wanted to bring that up for no reason. The well, I guess with Spider-Man, of course. Yeah. But this is interesting, and um, you know, I want to kick this over. Let's see. I'll, I guess I'll go to Dustin first on this. What is your thought on? I don't know, like Marvel and Disney kicking their stuff around different and kicking the tires of every company. I, I said this on Twitter. We got some interesting feedback. Someone actually from WB, kind of a rival now, right? Because of the DC license, had responded saying like, mm, not so much because you you cultivate this talent and then they go. And I'm like, well. You have the you have all the money and you have the IP and the license. So you stay if you want or you buy that company if you want. But I love that they're going around and just democratizing these games. I think they learned a really significant lesson from Star Wars and what they did with EA. They fucked that entire thing up and wasted years of Star Wars prime on games that never came out. And I think they realized they probably should have let 1313 come out. And they, you know, they canceled that well. And I mean, everyone knows someone that worked on that game and the industry was huge. So. I feel like they learned a lesson and they're like, let's just let the good shit come to us. Imagine a situation where you make your portfolio known to these companies behind the scenes and just say, pitch us. That's fucking amazing. I mean, and I think that's what maybe they're doing here. So this this XCOM like Marvel game is real. Uh, I'm not going to play it because I don't I don't like the way XCOM feels personally. It's a game that I really want to like, but I don't. But how do you feel about Marvel? Uh, What is this called again? Midnight Suns. Midnight Suns. I'm so conflicted about this, as you know, Colin, in the audience, I made Marvel illegal many episodes ago, so I got to stand by my word here. Um, well, you're the commandant, though. You can you can make different <laughs> rules here as, as you please. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's weird. I I think Fraxis is a great company. Civilization five and six were both really, really, really good games. I really loved the original XCOM reboot, we'll say XCOM. Uh, what was that? Enemy Within or Enemy Unknown? Enemy Unknown. Enemy and then unknown, they did yeah. Within. I think was like a expansion or something. So I I loved that that one. XCOM Two. They kind of changed some stuff that I think makes sense from a gameplay standpoint, but they they made the missions timed, which really bothered me. Which it probably makes sense from a gameplay standpoint. That's like. You can't sit here for 15 minutes and think about what what gun you're going to shoot. But at the same time, it, 
<laughs> Imagine that battle if World War II went so, down that way. <laughs> I love turn-based battles, but it really doesn't make any sense. I'm just sitting, like, very tense thing, and I'm just in my menu, like, looking at my items. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do... I don't know. It did... XCOM 2, I was excited about it, and it, something about it did not sit well with me. I got really frustrated with it. Maybe I need to give it another go, but... So this one is... It's, it's doubly conflicting in that I... I just don't I don't want to say I don't care about Marvel anymore. I'm just I'm done with it at this point. I think what they're doing is cool. If you like Marvel and you're still into it since 2008 or whatever with Iron Man, great. I'm happy that you found something you love that much. I will never find anything I love that much. Maybe that's why I'm sad. But <laughs> I can't like the fact that it's I'm like is this going to be more like XCOM 2? It's also subject matter I don't really care about, but I like Firaxis so Mm. Is it Firaxis or fi- I've heard it's like fire, fi- like it's Firaxis as far as I understand. Fear-axis, like Firaxis, like yeah. Firaxis. Like yeah, that's how Jaguar. I understand. Firaxis, cool. Yeah. Oh, I- you know what? I totally. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Oh. He's gonna pull out a fucking jaguar. Oh, and he's gonna have it tell you how it's pronounced. Oh no. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> what is this? A listener sent me something for you. Oh, for me. And I I made an exception because I usually don't allow people to send us stuff because I don't want it. Don't you dare. But <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. Oh, my God. Dude, is that an Atari shirt? For the audio listeners, yeah. that's amazing. It's an Atari it shirt says, that says Jaguar. It says Jaguar. Jaguar. It's, it's the Jaguar logo instead of. That's amazing. It says, it says, so someone. Oh, it's. Yeah, you can't see because our, our stuff gets. Yeah, our stuff gets so. It says Jaguar. It says Jaguar on it. That yes, is for people amazing. that don't know, we use our our program that we use keeps latency low by just reducing our, the quality of our own communications. I can see it now. Yeah. yeah. So well, I have to find the name. I'll find the name of that person. I'll bring that shirt for you when I see you. But that's beautiful. <sighs> I absolutely uh, love that. That reminded me. Yeah. Sorry. That's so anyway. Amazing. Yeah, I'm conflicted. That's the my overall take. I understand. It's so funny you say this because um, Dagan and I are kind of moving through Marvel movies now. We did Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. We also did Iron Man recently on Knockback. And so I'm kind of like feeling it a little bit right now where I'm like, this is kind of fun, you know? And then Miles Morales was great. And the new Spy... Uh, I actually saw it into the Spider-Verse as well, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Because we had to do that for Knockback. Then this trailer, I was like, well, I've always kind of liked Spider-Man. So I think I'm kind of like a closeted Spider-Man fan in some way. I don't know very much. Spider-Man is the best one. Yeah, I, would I mean, I would, I would agree. I mean, there's some members of because well, I was I love the X-Men when I was a kid and I like some of them, too. But when you really think about it, like I liked Colossus a lot and a few others. But I'm like, I mean, he's it, fine. But it's like, you know, yeah. Psylocke was really cool, you know, kind of hot. People who like X-Men usually are people who like them from the comics like uh, Kingston. My, my Sweeney, my roommate, loves the X-Men because he's like a comic book fan. He's like, it's like they're a family. And it's like, cool. I don't read those, though. So it's fine. Oh, uh, yeah. All I know is the. The redheaded chick from Game of Thrones played, who was it, Jean Grey or something? Or is that even right? Is that right? I don't know. All I, I know, know is... Uh, yeah, no, you're right about that. Okay. Because I remember seeing her on the side of a bus in Los Angeles, and I'm like, oh, it's uh, a Stark girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, it's already left my mind. Like, I watched every episode of that show, and I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Mostly because it, was, it ended so badly. But let's get back into this. Uh, Chris, I'm curious... Uh, what your take is on this? Are you an XCOM guy? I, I, I you don't I don't take you as one, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Like that's I, a I, for you. 
I've been getting into like tactics games a little bit more lately. Excellent. But I have yet to try XCOM. I think I I think the reason why I, I put off tactics games so much is because so many tactics games takes take place in universes that I just don't really give a shit about. Like I, I don't know what the hell XCOM is. It doesn't even sound real. It sounds fake. Like XCOM doesn't sound like an actual anything. And then like Final Fantasy Tactics obviously was just never like uh, it's too anime. I can't do it. But then I think when Gears Tactics came out, it's like, oh, I'm familiar with Gears. And I got into it. It's like, oh, this is like a simple kind of like, this is fun. This is kind of cool. I, I understand it. And I think now I can start bre- branching into stuff like this. What, what's, what I'm curious most about this is like, this strikes me. And I understand that these aren't the same types of games. But this strikes me as like, a, like an Ultimate Alliance Tactics type deal. And I loved Ultimate Alliance. Like the original Marvel's Ultimate Alliance is like one of my favorite. I love that game so much when it, when it came out. I was like such a fun romp through that universe. And that was before the MCU. So it was actually like, you know, enjoyable, uh, <laughs> but, or it didn't overstay its welcome or it wasn't super oversaturated. It was like a nice, like novelty to have like a Marvel game that played that way. And if it can kind of like, if, if it can capture some of that, even though it's not the exact same type of game and like the isometric kind of like Marvel team up, I think that could be a fun game and I might I might give it a shot when it comes out it's probably I'm more familiar with Marvel than I am with XCOM certainly so if there's a tactics type game that I'm going to play it's probably going to be this one just out of sheer ease of entry so I'm I'm curious about it I'm looking forward to it cool yeah I know a lot of people are looking forward to it as well that's March so right after so we have Saints Row let me see here so we've talked about it so far Forbidden West February 18th Saints Row uh, February 25th XCOM. No, well, Midnight Suns. Let's call it that instead. March of 2022. Number four. I'm interested to see what you think of this one, Chris. Destiny 2's eagerly awaited expansion, Witch Queen, has a release date as well as new details worth discussing. Players can purchase and download it for both PS4 and PS5 beginning on February 22nd of 2022. So the same day, uh, right? That, yeah. No, a few days later of Horizon. God, all these games are coming out in the same week. Perhaps the largest addition this expansion brings with it, apart from that, you would all that we would expect is a crafting system that is common in other games, but which will be totally new to Destiny and is bound to make the loot grind and subsequent manufacture of new items all the more heated. According to the game's website, Melee will take center stage and obviously the Witch Queen expansion will come packing new locations, missions, characters, story and more. Destiny 2, which launched in 2017 as the sequel to 2014's original game, has truly found its cadence. Indeed, there's a plan to support the game fully until at least through 2024. The Witch Queen is slated to begin in the fifth year of Destiny 2 support from developer Bungie following previous packs like 2019's Shadowkeep. As for Bungie, the studio, once owned by Microsoft and responsible for the Halo franchise before getting into bed with Activision for a time, was founded way back in 1991 when it first made Mac OS exclusive titles and it had an intimate relationship with Apple before Microsoft swung in to wisely claim Halo for its own as a launch game for the original Xbox in 2001. Chris, what do you think? I'll leave it to you. Yeah, I mean, it's 30th anniversary. It's fucking crazy. Like, dude, this this was so this was so exciting. Like, this was such a good reveal. And it was so awkward, too, because like the Destiny reveal opened that day and then Xbox had their stream afterwards. And it was so hilarious. Like the 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 varying levels of quality because Destiny showcase was so good. And then Xbox was like, isn't it crazy how we had trebuchets or whatever? 
in like middle <laughs> in like in like oh, medieval yeah. times. What was up with that? It was I don't like know. ten minutes dedicated to real life trebuchets, like it was, just like it, straight up for Age very, of Empires. Yeah, it was so bizarre because it was like this is interesting, <laughs> but like why? this is like a history channel thing that I would watch like on my own. Like I don't know why you're doing this in the middle of a games thing. But yeah, no, so Destiny. Like it's this is a very cool this is this looks so neat to me like the the story is ramping up first off which is like really exciting the fact that there are hive guardians is insane and that you could like reach out and like crush their fucking souls is is awesome uh that first person glaive weapon that's just like a a a, a, a glaive with a gun at the end of it is is sick it just looks fun like it looks like they're having a great time making this thing it looks like they're really passionate about it it looks like they're adding all these like really cool features. I, I forgot to mention when I was talking about when I jumped into it earlier that crossplay is now a thing. So you can now jump between PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and it's all pretty seamless. Voice chat doesn't work cross platform though. It's weird. That's kind of annoying. But, you know, I, I feel like it's at a point where like I feel like it's building up to like really interesting things. They even announced like the, this, this uh, chapter after Lightfall, which was already like presumably the last thing it was like the final shape or something i feel like there's just a lot of room to grow and a lot of really cool shit that's probably going to happen in this universe in the near future and i'm I'm super pumped about it it looks really fun and it looks really cool and the fact that like it's actually focused on story is also like really really exciting because they finally have like a lot of meat to build off of for that i see things like destiny or world of warcraft or whatever league of legends just games that stay around for a while and have big audiences and are allowed to spread their wings and find, like you said, story and characters and ways to keep people engaged for many years at a time. And I'm always jealous because nothing I've ever loved has been given that opportunity. Like nothing I've ever truly thought like loved like that has ever been able to spread. It's really, truly stay and spread and find a way like, all the series I bring up, like Mega Man and Castlevania, obviously those kind of just come and go and don't really aren't taken very seriously. Things I love outside of games like G.I. Joe, which is like a, a 40 year old universe is still like a very underground thing. It's exciting because I know how people who love these kinds of things must feel about it, because I know how I would feel if something that I really fell in love with at the beginning was just over and over again delivered. And it's exciting. Like Bungie really has the world by the balls right now. And and it's all through one game. Yeah, it's interesting. Now they're making something else, right? Aren't they? they aren't they making there's, like another game? There, there's talk of a hero shooter named Codenamed Matter, which knowing knowing Bungie, that's probably what the name is going to be, because <laughs> they like to have these like singular singular names, like you know, Marathon, Halo, Destiny. It seems that I, I would believe that. And to be quite fair, if Bungie did make a hero shooter, it might be the exception where I might actually play it because sure. I, I can't stand most. Like I, I got into Overwatch for like maybe like a couple months and I was like, it, it lost its luster pretty quickly for me. But Bungie does know how to make really satisfying gunplay and really satisfying movement work really well in tandem with each other even if it's not like you know you're not moving around like titanfall and you're not like you know you're not super you're not like quake you know or you're like flying across the field in like a second but 
they know how to marry those things really well and they're really good at they're really good at shooters like they're i think they're really the kings of like making like mechanically like really kind of perfectly tuned fps's and if they are working on that that's cool but i'm really happy that destiny has this like long way forward especially just for people who might be curious and if they're like hey you know i missed out on a lot like i wasn't really there for the first game i wasn't there for like the first seven years of this second game i don't know if i want to jump in if you do there's at least like four more years of like stuff to look forward to and i think that's important for a game like that it's important for a series like that it's important for that studio but yeah, no, they're they're doing an incredible job. They've always been like one of my top developers. They've always made like really stellar stuff. And it's really it's really gratifying also just to see a game that launched like I wouldn't say it launched as catastrophically as like, you know, the Master Chief Collection or or No Man's Sky. But to see something that was kind of confused on launch and just kind of didn't know what it was kind of find its cadence and deliver such rewarding story and gameplay and just get to this point where people are excited still for new Destiny stuff. It's like, it's just really nice to see. I'm really happy that, you know, Bungie hasn't gone the route of like, you know, Blizzard or, or other studios that, you know, were once great and just have kind of petered off. It's, it's amazing to me that they've remained as on top of their game as they have been for so long. It's crazy. Pretty well managed, too, because yeah, it seems like they understood over and over again where they should be at the right time. You know, being with Mac and Apple at that time, I didn't even know I was reading about them yesterday. They made a Pippin game, which is fucking hysterical. Pippin was like yeah. the, the very obscure Apple console from 1995. And, you know, and then they moved over to Microsoft at just the right time. And then they got out of there at just the right time. And then they were with Activision and then they got out of that at just the right time. It was yeah, and ever ever yeah. since, ever since they left Activision, man, it's just it's literally just been nothing but. There, there have been like minor complaints about like weapon balancing and like the overall sandbox, but like, dude, like ever since they left Activision, it's been nothing but like great shit. Like Shadowkeep was pretty good. Beyond Light was pretty good. This next thing looks really awesome. Like they're they're killing it. And ever since they left Activision, the seasonal model has made sense, which is crazy because you think that like a publisher would incentivize a seasonal model more. You know, just because it's like, hey, we got to get some, you know, skins in there. But it's 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 like, ah, we're leaving and now we'll make the good game. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's um, it's fun. It's an, it is fun. It's an interesting thing to watch from the outside. I'm excited uh, for Destiny fans. What do you make of it, Dustin, as a more and let's say a more intermediate level player? Yeah, I am excited. I actually really want to check out this new season because uh it deals on this specific location. What is it called again, Chris, that I really like? Uh, the Awoken. Oh, the Dreaming City? The Dreaming City, which I always think is one of the absolute coolest locations that Destiny has made so far. So it's interesting. I'm curious to see what the long, really long-term plan is because they've laid out this expansion, then the following, and the one after that, and that will conclude the darkness and light story, which guys let's be real kingdom hearts and destiny. were both dealing with light and dark and no one knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> it's more similar than you might think. Uh, and I stand by that. So I'm just curious whether at that point, are they going to continue to support destiny only just with a new 
like phase two situation or like new overarching arc? Are they going to do like, okay, we're actually going to do a new destiny game at this point, which I know people would be maybe not happy with because they want to bring their, maybe you could bring your character along. I don't know. But at the same time, they're developing a new game as well that Chris mentioned. And it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of possibilities forward for them. So it'll be interesting to see how now that they're fully independent, how they decide to move forward. We have a letter here from Trent Miller who wrote in and said, Greetings, master of all things Tech Collins, salutations lover of JRPGs Chris, and good day hater of anime Dustin. With the reveal of the next expansion in the Destiny 2 universe, they say they are putting a big emphasis on the campaign, saying, If you like single-player games like Doom, Halo, God of War, and others, then the Witch Queen is for you. So will this be the first time you finally give Destiny 2 a try, Colin? I'm also curious about Dustin and Chris's take on the reveal. Well, we already talked about that. I don't think this is going to get me in, although I did see that. Chris, what do you think they mean by this? This um, this more this nod to single player games. Are they trying to get people like me that are on the edge to give them a go? Because they've never really talked about their game as a single player game, even though it can be played that way. Other companies go out of their way to note that, including games that I really love, like Outriders and The Division. I'm wondering if they just maybe see that they're leaving people on the field that they can get. Maybe. I, I, I definitely think it's it's really weird. It, it's hard for me to talk about this because I, I, I actually know what's going on in this story because I pay attention to all these like weird like little like lore entries that are like like there's a lot of stories that are like etched into the descriptions of guns. And it's like kind of like that's oh, kind cool. of and like weapon pieces and like armor pieces. And it's like that's kind of how like you're meant to it's almost Dark Souls esque in a way where you're kind of meant to piece the story together. But there's also like, you know, there's. Ever since they left Activision, there's been more of a consistent effort to kind of tell cohesive stories through actual in-game dialogue and through like, you know, cutscenes. And I, I have to imagine that what they're what they mean by this is that there's going to be a healthy amount of cutscenes and there's going to be a lot of story meat to sink your teeth into if you're not if you're not somebody who prefers to dig into like deep lore or you don't want to have to rely on some YouTuber reading and <laughs> reading the the lore to you, which I, I did for a long time. My name is Bife was like what was like a channel that I watched a lot because he just he summarized so much of the story really well. He has a great voice and he, it's just like the best way to get that content. But I would imagine that there's just probably more of a focus on story. I would you could have played a lot of these single player a lot of the previous Destiny expansions single player as well and you didn't necessarily need people to understand what was going on. But I have to imagine this just means like there's more of a focus on maybe set pieces and like, you know, proper cutscene and implementation and all this sorts of stuff. I I'm curious, though, like how they plan on delivering that, because the last time they did say this, granted, it was a very different Bungie, very different time was before Destiny 1 came out. where like, if you like Halo, you like Destiny. And it's like, ah. Eh. Not exactly. <laughs> you know, the that story was not finished at all. So, granted, this does seem like to be, uh, this seems like a far more healthy and capable Bungie than, you know, 2013, 2014, figuring out what this thing was. You know, so. Dinklebot. I would imagine they're trying to That's get it. all I it. remember from the original Destiny. I did play the original for a little while. Good old Dinklebot. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. That's February 22nd next year yep number five it should come as no surprise at this point but the game wild is officially no more indeed we reported on this back in 2020 
but further confirmation has been made as to the game's destruction. Word comes by way of website Video Game Chronicle, which reports on Scuttlebutt from the Giant Bomb podcast that the game is finished. What we knew as of last year was that the game's creative director, the sometimes controversial Michelle Ansel, had retired from the industry, leaving the game in limbo. This seems to confirm that the entire team has moved on, though apparently they remain together. The team is called Wild Sheep, and you may note that their game was revealed at Gamescom in 2014. The promise was to deliver an open world game populated by enormous numbers of animals, which players can then take control of. Planned as a second party PS4 exclusive, in other words, a game funded by Sony from a studio it doesn't own. Wild hasn't been seen publicly in six years. And Michel Ancel, who was best known for his longtime work at Ubisoft, where he created the Rayman franchise and acted as the franchise's steward, has also seemingly abandoned his work on Beyond Good and Evil 2 as well, though that game apparently remains in production at Ubisoft. The original Beyond Good and Evil, which he directed and wrote, launched on PS2 in 2003, was long rumored to get a sequel, which Ubisoft later confirmed and properly announced. Dustin, what do you make of um, of this? Do you remember this announcement? I was at Gamescom when this game was announced, and I remember just being like, oh, OK, it's like another second party game. And then we saw a little bit at it. Remember when Sony would have a presence at Paris Games Week, they showed it again. So that was 2015. And then we never saw it again and they never properly canceled it. And this happens sometimes with second party Sony games. Sometimes they find their way to other publishers. Remember me as an example of that. Sometimes they just disappear entirely. But uh, I'm wondering what you think of this ambitious idea going away. And Michelle Ansel's kind of fall from grace as he never delivered the games he promised towards the end as he just left. Right. I mean, look at Beyond Good and Evil 2 right now. Like, what happened to that? Apparently, I'm looking at this, like a Wikipedia article about Beyond Good and Evil 2. Apparently, he hasn't been directly involved for some time with Beyond Good and Evil 2. But yeah, uh, this game can, uh, was it Wild, can join the ranks of uh, Agent which you know the 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 Rockstar exclusive game that for PS3 that just disappeared and never happened. Who knows? Maybe one day. What if, dude? Sony just comes out and is like, "Hey, agent, we're doing it." Rockstar. That'd be awesome. People be awesome, expected but... that for a little. People did expect that for a little while, like in the preceding years, because there were a few games from that era. Not only Rockstar, but some Sony internal games that just disappeared. We talk about the getaway three sometimes, but also there was a game. I think it was called like six nights. I don't know if you guys remember that game. It was something like that. I was like, and that, yeah. that game like totally disappeared. So there are a lot of games from that mid aughts era. Was that the one with the, like the trailer in like the desert or something? What the hell was that tra- know, desert trailer? One? That might've actually been agent. Now I'm thinking about it, but yeah, one of them, I think was just like a, a logo and stuff. But anyway, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, you're good. I'm sorry. Go on. Go I'm on, trying go. to think, wasn't there, there's another game from early in PS4 that also disappeared. Is that Deep Down, right? Oh, yeah, Deep oh, Down, yeah, yeah. yeah. I play, I play, I actually played Deep Down. Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah, that, that game, uh, that was a Capcom game that just totally disappeared. Yeah. So, yeah, this is unfortunate. I mean, for me, I never thought that the, the tra- it's been so many years since I've seen the trailers, but I remember thinking like, okay, looks neat. I guess like there was never enough that I was like, man, I'm really excited for wild. So to me, it's, it's okay that it's gone. It's uh, it's sad. I mean, not sad. Apparently. I don't know. This dude, didn't he have a lot of allegations against him? I don't know whether they were, they're proven or not. It's I don't uh, know much about the allegations against Michelle Ansel, to be honest. Yeah. Me neither. I just know that he, um, so I don't want to, I want to speak to that, but sure. I just know that he has kind of, just not delivered. I mean, this is the man that made Ray. This, he made Rayman. It's pretty, pretty big deal. He had a really long running relationship with Ubisoft. I don't think 
the company would be what it was without him. So it's just interesting that this has gone this way for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to see someone kind of uh, just fade away like this from the industry. And I guess it's not weird. It probably happens regularly, but someone who, like you said, created Rayman, that's a, a pretty big deal. I agree. What do you think of this, Chris? Uh, do you have any love for, for Michelle Ansel? I mean, I, I don't know if you have any love for Wild specifically, a pretty obscure game, but yeah, you know, he's he's put out a lot there. I don't know if you're a Beyond Good and Evil fan. I like Beyond Good and Evil. I just, I played it on Xbox actually when it came out and I just never understood why people were so desperate for another one. <laughs> like it was cool, but I was like, this is fine. Why, why do you want another? And now we're so detached from it. They might as well just reboot or just Beyond Good and Evil. It's called Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah, and yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I liked what little of Beyond Good and Evil I played, and honestly, like the the gameplay that they showed a couple of years ago when it when they actually showed it running did look pretty yeah. cool. Like, I actually remember thinking like that. Actually, I would play that. I think that looks kind of neat. But aside outside of Rayman, you know, Rayman's really the thing that I, you know, I loved Rayman on the PS One, and even even I mean, not necessarily him specifically. I don't know if he had anything to do with uh, Legends. Did he have anything to do with Legends specifically? Or is he just the uh, creator was, of Rayman, you know? No, I think he was the creative director of Legends. Well, that was uh, that was amazing. <laughs> so that was that's that's probably as much as I know about him and, and his stuff. It's it's kind of a shame that like he just has all these weird things in like development hell because uh, you'd think that you'd think that that wouldn't <laughs> be the case. Yeah, you but, would think that he would. Uh, he, he just seems like a guy that might need a producer. Yeah, but, yeah, maybe he's probably you think that they would have found that. or something. Right. You think they would have found that with Sony. Yeah, I, I don't know. With, I, I don't know Wild. if I have much to say about it. Like I, I don't necessarily care that Wild Wild never looked interesting to me. Uh Beyond Good Neil, I hope I hope comes out. But I don't know. I, what we need is whenever a game gets cancelled like this, we need or or uh, you know, cancelled or like left into development hell. I feel like we need to go into the go into the past and take one of those games that like was done but never released and just like put them out like thrill kill you know like yeah put, bring, put that out now Dude, <laughs> see, was like, yeah, awesome. I, sorry sorry we couldn't do wild here's here's a thrill kill remaster we had a build of thrill kill a final build of thrill kill at ign which was awesome you can only play it on a ps1 dev kit that's hilarious or a test kit but yeah we had it it was kind of cool all right uh let's see here number six and a move both surprising and wise take two interactive and its 2k sports imprint have decided to delay the launch of its annualized wrestling game, this time called WWE 2K22, until March of next year. As noted by website Polygon, this represents a nearly half-year delay and is likely buying essential time for visual concepts to better wrap their minds around the property. Visual concepts, you may know, is the 2K-owned team known for its beloved and peerless NBA series, NBA 2K. However, it also long worked alongside Japanese developer Yuke's on the WWE franchise in in a support role. For reasons not entirely known, though almost certainly revolving around money and licensing, Yuke's was removed from the lead development role of WWE starting with WWE 2K20, which launched in the fall of 2019 and completely bombed critically, dropping some 35 points on Metacritic between years. As such, WWE 2K21 was completely canceled, and now the delay will buy even more critical time. As for Yuke's, which started making wrestling games for WWF and later WWE in 2000, They are continuing their development of an all-elite wrestling or AEW game, which is becoming a more viable competitor to WWE. Dustin, what do you think of this? They they really fucking... I want to know more, and I don't know if it is known. I I couldn't find much information about it. What happened here? Because (laughs) 
they had like a very good studio making an annualized game for them. And then they walked away. They tried to bring it to visual concepts, probably because it was cheaper. They don't own Ukes. They own visual concepts. Visual concepts could not do it. They dropped 40 points on Metacritic the next year. Then they canceled the game after that. And then they delay the game after that by six months. This reminds me a lot of NBA's uh, or um, EA's NBA Elite series, which like just kind of sometimes comes out and sometimes doesn't and is like always pretty bad. It's a pretty it's a pretty catastrophic thing. And what I thought was interesting was Ukes is now making an AEW game, which is like a complete punch in the face because I'm not a wrestling fan. But as I understand, AEW is kind of like coming up, right? Like they then they just get some prolific wrestlers in there. And like, I think CM Punk mm. and um, and I think they were teasing Daniel Bryan coming back, who's, who I only know because of the, the yes, yes, yes thing he does is an Islanders champ, too. What do you think? What, what do you think happened here? I would like to know more about that. I don't even care about the games themselves. Right. Well, it is interesting because I just I remember hearing about this, this, I don't know, conflict, this back and forth about these WWE games. And this you I'm looking at Uke's releases since which they've put out a ton of stuff since their first release in 1995. Most recently in 2019, they put out an Earth Defense Force game, Iron yeah. Rain. Which is uh, which, not their series, so they were just working on that. No, yeah. from from 2013 to 2018, they had only released WWE games. In 2013, right. there was a, a Pacific Rim game that was in there, apparently. So this is interesting to see them, um, you know, kind of flip sides. I feel like overall, let me know what you think about this, Colin. I feel like the sports game industry right now there's like it's constantly changing we see uh this like moved like it's almost like they haven't adapted fully to this new online ecosystem of like we see games that like take years off games that finish and then never actually come out and it just uh it's interesting to see how these different publishers compete in this space and how some of them just fail spectacularly to the point where a game is is ready and maybe even i don't know were, was any of these games actually pressed and ready to go and then not released NBA, we One had of a copy was. of i think yeah nba elite 11 i want to say we had at ign pressed and there were like trophies live and achievements live and they just never released it i mean imagine how bad a game must be yeah. for them to be like it is better for us to just not release this gold game that we are done with. That's totally done. That, right. And that's pretty. But I remember us getting a build of that because then they were like, oh, we had like an embargo. And then they're like, there is no review embargo because the game's not coming out. And we're like, but we have it right here. It's like literally in a box. Right. It's here. insane. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens here. I am again, I'm not a wrestling person, but I am in, intrigued by this AEW thing because I, I think they're kind of like starting to be viable. Do you know anything about this, Chris? About the AEW and the so WWE stuff? little. This is the first time even hearing of AEW. Like I was, like, what yeah, the hell I didn't is know this? that. It, I didn't know that it meant all elite wrestling. But I saw. I don't know anything about CM Punk, but I saw him. Like people were freaking out, and um, so it's just interesting that Ukes goes with the competitor of this. It suggests to me that maybe not all is well between 2K and them. Maybe a theory could be. 2K tried to buy them, perhaps, and they re- got rebuffed. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe the story is better known to people in that circle. But you're right, Dustin. The sports ecosystem is so fascinating because 
look at what's happening. Look at what happened recently with EA, right? Uh, outbidding Take Two to get Codemasters so they can sports annualize racing games. Meanwhile, uh, Take Two goes all in and buys a golf team, gets the Tiger Woods IP, which used to be EA's. Now they're going to release Tiger Woods PGA games. But EA now is going to release its own non-Tiger Woods uh, golf game for the first time, you know, ever uh, since, you know, they did a Rory McIlroy one, I think, for a little while. But so it's very you're right. It is interesting. Meanwhile, NBA 2K is doing really well. EA is trying to get back in, but is having a hard time doing that. Baseball is still just cleared for the show. FIFA and eFootball. Right now we're going to be competing and they're going to get a third competitor, which we're going to talk about in the wrap up. We should do a show. All, well, I'll do it. I won't I won't torture you guys, but I'll do it with someone else all about sports like <laughs> sports games because you're absolutely right. It's just such a dynamic space. And I must say, I am pulling for the underdogs here mm-hmm. like an mm-hmm. AEW game. I hope it fucking I hope it's awesome. Yeah, like a eFootball. I hope it I hope it kills FIFA. It won't. But. It would be I would love for that kind of upheaval. I would love for a new NHL game to come out. And dare I say, I would even love for a baseball competitor uh, to come out as well. Okay, let's move on here to number seven. It's not exactly clear what's taking so long, but Lego Star Wars. The Skywalker saga was again shown off this time at Gamescom, still lacking a date. However, the game still looks awesome and does have some sort of timing tease. It'll come to both PS4 and PS5 at some point in the spring of 2022 and mark developers Traveler Tales first foray back into Star Wars since way back in 2011, as its sister developer TT Fusion developed the Lego Star Wars Force Awakens tie-in that launched on PS3, PS4, and Vita in 2016. The Skywalker Saga will be TT Games' first release since 2019's Lego Movie 2 video game on PS4, and has seemingly suffered mightily under the strain of COVID. When announced in early 2020, the game was slated for launch in October of 2020. Bouncing into the spring of 2022 amounts to a year and a half delay. Though the game will ambitiously attempt to cover all nine movies in the so-called Skywalker saga from episode one through episode nine with 45 levels and more than 300 playable characters. The first Lego Star Wars game came to PS2 all the way back in 2005. Uh, I'm not I don't know if you guys have anything to say this about this. I doubt you do, but I just want to say I'm excited about this. I'm like really looking forward to this game. I like Lego Star Wars and I haven't really sat down and played a Lego Star Wars game. I had um, the complete saga, I think, on we and it was really fun there mm-hmm. but and i played a few of them on vita like the lego batman shit but i like lego games they're really easy they're very playable and they're fun and i'm really intrigued to see how they deal with this the nine star wars movies nine divided by um well it would be five stages nine times five forty five so then we have 300 characters which is awesome like who are they going to be how are they going to play yeah. if it's not I'm max rebo return the game Take it back. Returning the game. I, I, you want to play as Max able, Rebo? Can I play every level of this game as Max Rebo? Start to I bet you. I bet you can. That would be awesome. <laughs> Who the, uh, the fuck is talented Max piano? Rebo? Max Rebo is the piano player in Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Why do you guys? Why do you guys know this, dude? Because he's <laughs> awesome. He's I, so cool. First, I was a massive Star Wars fan when I was a kid. I can name all those characters, but yeah. So he's like the blue elephant-looking guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like he's like you know on this keyboard. Yeah, yeah, he's so that, he's great. I would say I'm going to say that there is a decent chance that Max Rebo will be a playable character. Let's when you're talking see. about 300 characters. I'm looking. I mean, I'm just Max looking Rebo, to see if, if he's in one of the old games. <laughs> Maybe that's the key, Rebo. the ticket. 
How about his singer, Cy Snoodles? Oh. Who's the, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't even, I can't even criticize. Or Droopy McCool. Who's oh, the other Droopy player. McCool. Yeah. It's a the, terrible name. Yeah. Droopy McCool. Uh, but it's awesome. I, I was so excited because they, they, late in my Star Wars collecting, they released the band finally, like from Jabba's Palace and I was amped up. Yeah. Max Rebo and his fucking little piano. Like he, cause he plays in that circular piano. That's like, yes. he's all around him. It's like Zorak. So Max Rebo is a character that is playable in Lego Star Wars. The Force Awakens. Oh, which is odd. Um, okay, I'm looking at his ability list and it literally just all says no. no. <laughs> like Lightsaber. No. Grappling hook. No. <laughs> like, yeah, he's probably like just a useless. He probably doesn't do anything. That's so funny, man. So, yeah, I, I would. So the answer has <laughs> got to be yes, then. But that's what I'm excited to see. Like, I, w- I would love to play as all these random characters. It would, it would yeah. be fun. Play as Lobot. That'd be dope. All right. I'm going to get out of here before I get move on before Chris loses it. Number eight. The newest King of Fighters game, the King of Fighters 15, finally has a release date. It will launch on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on February 17th, early next year. The core game will include 39 playable characters to start and will include both local and online play. The last King of Fighters game, 14, came out back in 2016 on PS4, and before that, 13 launched in 2010 on PS3. Before that, it was typical to get at least one King of Fighters game a year, and sometimes two, as publisher and developer SNK at one time wisely annualized the franchise like it were a sports game. Interestingly, the aforementioned Coke Media is acting as this game's worldwide publisher, and obviously the game is still developed internally at SNK, an old and storied Japanese company that has in more recent times come under scrutiny for its economic relationship with the Saudi royal family. As for King of Fighters, it began in arcades in the Neo Geo console way back in 1994 and is actually one of, if not the first ever, crossover fighter. I was thinking about that. Um, the first King of Fighters game, first of all, is called the King of Fighters 94. And so they they were kind of ahead of their time because they were they annualized them like a sports game, which was cool. Mm-hmm. But King of Fighters is a crossover game. And I totally forgot about that. And I was thinking, like, is it the first crossover fighter? It might be because it's like. Art of Fighting, Fatal Fury, Akari Warriors, Psycho Soldier, like all of these kind of obscure things. But when it is a crossover seat. I'm sorry. So the first one was 94, right? 1994. When was um, when was the first Marvel versus Capcom? Probably like 98. Yeah, I would say 96, 97, maybe NBC Wiki. Yeah, 90. Oh, no. X-Men versus Street Fighter, 96. And then Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter is 97. All right. And then Marvel so, yeah. versus Capcom is 98. Yeah. So it must yeah. be. Yeah. That's kind of crazy because yeah. I was going to say like Marvel versus Capcom is the only one that, that I could think of from that time. But Street Fighter Alpha is also a crossover fighter technically because there are. But I don't think that, that's even later. I think I want to say that that's 96 or 97 too. So yeah. Interesting. I, I was just thinking about that. King of Fighters is like a pretty beloved, although low key franchise. 95. And Street Fighter Alpha. 95. Yeah. So close. Yeah, very close because there are some characters from different franchises in that game like Cody, I think, is in that um, and others. So that would be technically a crossover fighter. But anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out for the fighting game community, as I know you're looking for games. And finally, number nine is a wrap up website. Gamatsu reports multiplayer firefighter game Ember comes to PS4 on September 23rd. Brawler Asterisk and Obelix slap them all comes to PlayStation 4 on November 25th. Exploration and crafting game The Wild at Heart comes to PS4 at the end of 2021. Action fighting game Sifu, which a lot of people are excited about, comes to PS4 and PS5 on February 22nd. 3D action game XEL comes to PlayStation 5 in the second quarter of 2022. Indonesian developed 3D action platformer Project Buramato comes to PS4 and PS5 in late 2022. 
Management game Park Beyond comes to PS5 at some point in 2022. And as promised, free-to-play soccer game UFL comes to PS4 and PS5 at an undetermined point in the future. So there's going to be another free-to-play soccer game um, in addition to eSport, uh, eFootball. The website also reports that Alfred Hitchcock-inspired adventure game Vertigo, slated for both PS4 and PS5, has been delayed and will now come out in 2022. Website Push Square reports exploration game The Tourist comes to PS4 on September 9th. PS4 survival RPG Wasteland 3 is getting its final piece of DLC, Cult of the Holy Detonation, on October 5th. Eerie exploration game Jet the Far Shore, which looks great, comes to both PS4 and PS5 on October 5th. Strategy game Jurassic World Evolution 2 comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 9th. Isometric Brawler Midnight Fight Club comes to PS4 in the summer of 2022. Arcadish side-scroller Valfaris Mechatherian comes to both PS4 and PS5 in late 2022. And interestingly, Grand Strategy game Crusader Kings 3 from Paradox is coming to PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in the future. I thought that was interesting because there is no PS4 launch. Now, what I'm really hoping for is mouse and keyboard support because I would love to play a grand strategy game. That would be really fun. That's like way above what a strategy game I've ever played. I don't think I've ever played a paradox game. Yeah. All right, boys. That's all the news. Tradition dictates on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast that we end every episode with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last media early ad free access, Sacred Symbols, plus the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. Name in the credits etc. and so on. Let's start with Kevin Harris. Hi, losers. If you had to guess, what would you say the first special edition PS5 SKU would be? Meaning the case is a different color or design, God of War or Horizon possibly, or would you say supply is too tight to consider alternate SKUs at this point? You're welcome. Thank you for writing in, Kevin. So I could be wrong about this, and I'd have to go back and look, but was the first redesign of PS4 the 20th anniversary PS4? Because that was a little longer than a year later. And there were no games that would have come out in between that would have gotten a special edition, except maybe Call of Duty. I don't know. So um, I don't know. that. So I'm only saying that because it might just be too early to even consider this question. But I, I actually. But by the time Horizon comes out, it will have been over a year. Chris. Yeah, I actually don't think it's too early to consider that because like we um, I mean, this happened at XX. Uh, Gamescom. I was gonna say XCOM because we were talking about XCOM earlier. At Gamescom uh, two, where where um, Halo Infinite got a, a specific Xbox Series X SKU, like a custom, like limited edition, mm. like designed console. So I think we're at that point where, like, clearly they have, at least Microsoft does, they have access to enough materials that they can afford to make, you know, a limited edition, like special edition SKUs. I would imagine that Sony's in a similar position. It's just they don't have any games that are coming out in the fall yet. So I, I would. If I had to bet, I would, I would, I would, I think it's a safe bet to assume that Horizon would probably be the first one to have a skew like this, purely just based on timing. Like if, if Halo Infinite can get one in November, then surely by February, Sony can get one for Horizon. Like it just, see, that seems to make sense. But I, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's hard to say what Sony's situation is as far as like parts go because they, they did revise the ps5 recently so those have been right. appearing so like i don't know what's I, it's it's hard to say i i would i would bet horizon though seems safe i feel like um you could be right but uh dustin i wonder what you think about my theory that doing a special edition consoles in a time of scarcity is going to be a bad move because people are going to be mad extra mad that they aren't able to they can't get the console and then there's going to be special editions that are going to cause a ton of crush on a supply chain that is already being crushed 
and just I, I just feel like it's not a good idea. You know, like I, I just think you got to keep selling these white ones until these unfortunate vagina looking consoles until you come out at the other end and you I are mean, like, OK, people can comfortably find one. And now we do the special editions. I, I, I understand what Chris is saying. I just get a little nervous that I, I don't think people would know, be angry. like people aren't people don't seem to be up in arms about the Xbox. And that's that's just as, you know, like they face a similar problem as far yeah, as that's like, a good point. You know, people are like, oh, cool. You know, I, I don't think people really care that much as long as they can, like, get their hands on one. And even if they can't, like, it's just like, ah, you know, is there as much anger it with Xbox fans as there are PlayStation fans right now, though? I just feel like I'm not well connected to that ecosystem, but it just feels like there's so much anger. I guess not in the PlayStation ecosystem right now, you know, because they can't find people who just can't find this fucking thing. Right. And I just feel like people can't find Xbox, but I feel like, frankly, there are just fewer people looking for them, too. I just feel I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off base. What do you think, Dustin? I think that the Series X is still selling out. I think that it is easier to get them than PS5s still overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they still sell out. They're still selling very well. I think that I think that it might be better. I think I'm with Colin that it it could go either. I can go either way. I could see them being like, well, here, we want to do this. It's special. It's for the hardcore horizon fans or whatever here it is but again i could see people being like wow you're already doing special editions when people don't even have a chance to get the regular one yet um but again that could i just be think it for, opens up a potential headache for them they don't need demand right now right <laughs> you know yeah exactly maybe by the time let's say god of war comes out i don't know mid to late next year maybe by that time i could see especially because they did a God of War PS4 Pro, so that might be yeah. something nice. I I, to I do. see where you're coming from as far as like the headache that it would cause, but Sony doesn't seem to be that averse to headaches in the first place. Mm, like they true. seem to be pretty totally fine with like, hey, we're shutting PlayStation uh, Network down on the PS3 and Vita. Oh, whoops, ah, whatever. Just JK. They don't seem to be that considerate over like. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think they really care that much about like how people feel about PlayStation. They just like want people buying them and people are. And if I, I could see them very easily, like with Horizon being like, hey, you know, here's a spe- what's the difference really between these consoles? Like you, you, you got to imagine that like, oh, maybe the white part is like painted differently. Like it, it's not like it's going to be harder to make them. Sure. Like, I, don't, I don't think it'll be harder to make. I, I just I don't know. Here's I just I, think that you I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you, but here's an idea. Maybe instead of a new console, they just release new wings that you can pop on and yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, that seems, I don't know, the way that they pop off, like I thought that that was going to be something that they were going to pursue, you know, a little bit more, like it's it's been, a, it hasn't been that long, I guess, since PS5 has come out, but it's been long enough that I would have assumed like by now you would have like kind of officially licensed like custom PS5 like plating that you could right. like kind of swap kind of like the Xbox 360 face plates that you could like like you could pop right into place I think that'd be cool that'd be fun well, they, they were suing people that were selling their own so I mean maybe that's just a being protective but at the same time it's like maybe they're thinking about doing that and that could kind of be a happy medium yeah we'll see thank you for writing in Kevin and thanks for calling us losers Cedric S wrote in and said hey y'all I got to ask a question that I'd love to hear your opinion on. Why are so many game protagonists white? Is there any reason why Nathan Drake or Aloy or Joel or even Ellie couldn't be black or Hispanic? 
Sure, people make games based on what they're familiar with, but there's nothing saying that those characters have to be white. It's not like we black people are rare or something. Hell, Sucker Punch made a whole ass AAA game that takes place in 13th century Japan. I know Colin is working on a game starring a black protagonist and Pedro Pascal, a Chilean American actor, is playing Joel in HBO's The Last of Us miniseries. So diversity is coming. But why are there still so many white protagonists in video games? Thanks for everything you do. Hmm. Chris, I, I'm curious what you think about this. I mean, you're I know you're you're a person of color. I know that you, as a Puerto Rican, you're in this weird space. I understand that because I've had my, my best yeah. friends, Puerto Rican, and I understand this weird space that you dwell in. Yeah, it's a you're very, very Americanized. It, uh, Hispanic. We're, we're we're the chameleon people. We're, we're like right. I, I I'm uh, a POC when it's convenient, and I'm white when it's convenient. I think it's largely accepted that like you can be Puerto Rican and white. Like that's yeah, just kind of sure. like that's I think that's what I am. But well, just um, like there are a lot of white Brazilians and a lot of white like straight up white Brazilians, right, right. white Argentinians, etc. Right. Because Puerto I wonder where they came from. Puerto Rican is not a race. It's just a place. It's like a you know. It's I'm Hispanic. It's a Nazi German joke. Yeah, like I, I don't know, like I, I I think there's just a, a heritage in general in America of just like you know action, like we're framed largely by the media that we see. So like, I think you know there's a lot of action movies. We have a lot of history of action movies with like you know straight white male leads, and you know that's just sort of that trickles into what a lot of people believe is very marketable and very easy and very safe. I think it is a very safe thing. It's like, ah, here's a just a here's Nathan Drake and it's like fine, it's whatever. Yeah, very Nathan Drake's great, but very vanilla when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. that's kind of part of it. I think there's like a safety and like a familiarity. It's like this is you, everybody knows this person. <laughs> you know, like so like I feel like that's part of it. I think it's like a, a marketability thing is like as kind of weird and off putting as that is. But I do think I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like this argument is a bit overdone only because I feel like there are so many video games now more than ever before that are a little bit more like we had. We just had Miles Morales, which I actually like made a, a point to say, like, this is like literally the first time I've ever seen Puerto Rico represented in a video game like ever. Like, I, I can't think of one in my extensive backlog that I've played that I've seen that much representation. And that was cool. And we had we've had like like non-white protagonists as well and and we've also had i feel like most games now are in this weird space where you don't have default protagonists where you kind of make your protagonists things like the biggest games that i can think of like games like skyrim or like uh even gta 5 with like it's it's three protagonists which are all all very different I don't know. Like, I, I think when we boil it down to and I guess he's talking about in the Sony space, which is like, a, I guess that's a fair criticism, I suppose. They're sure that is there are very few. Exa I mean, yeah, with, with the exception of Starhawk and like he said, obviously, Ghost of Tsushima, it, it, there aren't there isn't much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when there is a good idea present, uh, which there's no reason why there shouldn't be. Like, I, I do think that's something that they maybe should consider. I, I do think, though, like Miles Morales is in the PlayStation ecosystem and it is an example of something that is a little bit more of, in the vein of what you're trying to, you know, pitch here. Um, I just think, I don't know. I, I, I'm not bothered by it necessarily. I understand what you're saying. It was very cool to see Miles Morales and it's very cool to see that. And I think more of that leads to more interesting stories and, and just like a, a better industry in general but at the same time i don't know if you can really kind of mandate that i, I think you kind of have to maybe just hope that a that a studio comes with a, a pitch 
that's good and also happens to have this going for it and then sony jumps on it like i don't know i don't know how to solve this problem without being overly mandatory about it you know like i i wouldn't want to see a place like a, a notice go out from playstation hq being like we we are no longer accepting games with white protagonists you know like that'd be weird to me like i, right. I would feel right. uncomfortable with that i don't know it's a complicated thing but i, it, I do think it, it's yeah. it's something that's being alleviated in our in general in our in our in the greater industry maybe not so much in playstation ecosystem which is like fair but um i think we're getting there and it'll be you know it'll be a little while but i think i don't know i think it cuts both ways in the sense that um isn't Deathloop also like? Isn't he a black protagonist? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. is. But that's second party. I, I think. Yeah, that's that, true. No, yeah. You're you're right. But I, I wonder, because it, it cuts both ways in the sense that Sucker Punch was kind of also criticized for that's, making yeah. a game uh, with all Japanese people when they're not Japanese, even though they were like that game's like beloved apparently um, in the Japanese market. I don't know if this is offensive or not. I certainly don't mean it to be. I, I don't think it would be offensive, but. I kind of consider Kratos a black character. I mean, he is played by black people in the games, whether it's, you know, Terrence Carson back in the day, um, or recently it's Christopher Judge. Mm -hmm. I think he has a black presentation in some way. And um, so that's like a little bit of an interesting taste. But even then, he's a deified madman of a character. You don't really know him in that sense. But I did want to point that out that like, well, because someone's going to write in about that. You know, Kratos is yeah. played and voiced exclusively by black black men. So there's that, I guess. But uh, Dustin, how do you feel about this uh, question? I think that we're seeing a lot of progress in this front. We're seeing a lot more diversity overall. I mean, it just takes time in that a lot of these franchises are decades or at least a decade old in some instances. And we've seen like Uncharted The Lost Legacy is a good example of a game that highlighted to not just... Uh, you know, women or people of color, but to women, particularly with Chloe and Nadine being the stars of, of that game. But yeah, I, I, I'm with Chris in that you don't want to like mandate it. Like you got to let writers write what they want to write. Like we can't be putting limits on that. But we also do want to see more diversity because it does, at least I think in this instance, does create a lot of interesting stories that we've never heard before or backgrounds that we've never seen it can get boring when you have a guy like nathan drake over and over and over again so i think that we're headed in the right direction uh even if it's not full you know fully there yet yeah very well said and i think that to your point it's what is in demand of the art and he had brought up in his letter that in the role-playing game i'm writing that yeah the the there's several protagonists because it's a party, but, you know, I saw a black man in my mind and I saw a white girl, like a white teenage girl and an older black guy and um, how they interact and how they meet and all that. It's not important right now. It'll be important when you play the game in the years to come. But that's just what I saw. It wasn't anything more or less than that. I, so I don't know. I'm not one of these people that believes in diversity for diversity's sake. I think we stumble upon diversity by keeping our minds open, right? Like um, we got, I, I brought up in the past, we got Lord Cognito and we got Cog to do our show, Defining Duke. And we chose him because he's a great fit 
but we chose a great fit that happened to be black. And so that adds that element, I guess, to it as well. Yeah. I know that's important to some people, but it's more important to me personally to keep what's in our minds diverse. I, I think what's coming to bear on our show, especially, and I think a lot of people are realizing it, is that like there's just a lot of diverse opinions and conversation on the show. And that comes more from like Chris and I kind of grew up in similar places, you know, mm-hmm. like and but we're different in a lot of other ways. And so it's I, I don't know. I just don't want people to think about diversity only in that sense. But think about also what a person believes and feels. Right. Well, like I think I've said it in the past. It's controversial to some people, but I have much more in common with the black people I went to school with in, on Long Island than a white person from fucking Austria. Yeah, I don't know. Like, just because he's white, I we have a connection, right? right? Like, I have much more of a connection to the black dudes that I know. It reminded, you know, that reminds me. It reminds me of that like weird uh, Jason Schreier thing about like that studio that opened with all the, all the uh, the the, the white guys, and it's like it's amazing that a studio looks like this in twenty. It's like you don't know these people. Yeah, (laughs) like like just because it's it's wild that people think it's like oh you have a similar skin tone so it's so you have the same experience that's not how that works really and i think anybody re- I, I think anybody who's being really honest and anybody in the real world understands that that's how that works but on sure. twitter that is how that works and it's like a little bit frustrating i don't know like i, I do think diversity is important i think it's i think it's cool and i think it's a, a worthy thing to strive for um but at the same time like i i just feel like this specific thing doesn't necessarily apply all that much now only because so many of the biggest games now are games that where this just doesn't really apply it's like there there is no protagonist in call of duty Warzone. there is no fortnite protagonist the destiny protagonist is whoever you create you know like it's it's a lot of these decisions are now like kind of player driven and kind of like you know who are you and you get to choose that like even skyrim and fallout and and ever the biggest rpgs that exist and even just the biggest free-to-play shooters that exist. A lot of games don't even have characters, per se. You know, a lot of them are, you know, Ratchet and Clank is animated. And, and you know, like, uh, things like Splitgate. Like, what, what even, it, those are just random, that's not anybody. It's just, they're just suits walking around. Right, right, right. So, like, I don't know. I feel like we've got to, I understand the, the, the sentiment in, in story-based games, there should be a, a wider representation. But at the same time, the, the general public and the general audience that consumes games is in such a different environment now where that's not even a question now. Like that's not even that, that can't even apply to something like destiny or like Fortnite. Like how are you going to just skins, I guess. Right. And there's already yep. plenty of those. So it's true. This really is only relevant in, in single narrative. player story. Yeah. Stuff. And I think Dustin made the point, too, and I think you're right, Dustin, that this is just being solved elsewhere as well. Mm. But I wouldn't be surprised. We know that there are 25 games right in development in first party. I think that will include second party as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if some I think half of them are new IP, they said. So I wouldn't be surprised if more than half of them. If not, almost all of them are not white men. I would be. Let's keep an eye on that. Actually, let's make a note. Put a pin in it. All right. Ryan Goldner wrote into us and said, hey, boys, my question is in regards to remakes and remasters. And why do some people dislike them so much? I see them as a great way to bring an IP back to everyone's attention for a revival or simply to make it playable again. But on a different note, I see it also as a way for developers to help develop the talents of the staff, particularly younger developers, to work with existing code and data. The biggest example of cultivating talent is Bluepoint Games, who are now highly regarded. Wanted to know your thoughts on this idea and if Sony would seek additional studios to build a relationship with and perhaps cultivate more talent like with Bluepoint. 
Thanks for everything you do and for getting me through my days at the office. Thank you, Ryan, for your support and for writing in. Dustin, what do you make of this notion that maybe Sony needs to even invest more in remakes and remasters? I've really been all over the map in my career on this question because I wanted them and then it became too much, right? Like it was really awesome, like Sly, God of War, right? Team Eco, like these things started coming out, but then everything started, it just started, and then they started re-releasing, especially during the PS3, PS4 era, you got like Sleeping Dogs and like Sleeping Dog Special Edition and all of this kind of crap. And I was like, Ugh, it's too much. But now that we have these consoles that exist in perpetuity, I feel like it's a great time to bring as much forward as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my personal take. So I wouldn't mind seeing Sony invest in that. And they kind of have by acquiring Nix's, they've acquired a company that deals with porting. So that could be on their minds more. I don't know. What do you think? I find it interesting that he said that, uh, why do some people dislike them so much? I, I don't, there's maybe some people that are like, eh, you know, whatever, I don't care. But I, is there, are there people that actively hate remasters and remakes just because I think so. I mean I think to his I mean I'm not seeing them so much anymore but it was a thing yeah like a while ago there was a, yeah. a moment in time like I specifically remember around the last of us period like when the first last of us came out right, yeah where where there was like here's the last of us and then a year later it's like the last of us remastered and it's like come right. on like let's just settle down here like that's right i agree that's annoying because there's really no reason why that should exist in the, it's just the last of us like it's not remastered you just made the game like and you put it out on a new thing but i mean we have i i think like you said like around the team eco like area where we got metal gear remastered and like all that stuff that like from older generations like before i think that i think that that shit's awesome my favorite game of 20 like one of my favorite games of 20, 2019 was the crash team racing remaster right know? i don't think well, many people hate them and blue point is so well regarded like it, it almost like the the point that he brought up about blue point kind of kind of negates the premise of the beginning of the of the question you know right maybe maybe this the hatred towards remakes and remasters have maybe that that focus has shifted because now we're not seeing remakes of PS4 games or remasters of PS4 games to PS5. We're seeing uh, $10 upgrade charges. Director's cuts. Director's cuts. So that's kind of replaced that. And now in our mindset, when we think of remasters and remakes, we think of, of Blue Point, where I think that, I mean, I, it's, I feel like it's really hard to disagree with uh, like thinking that what they did to Shadow of the Colossus and both Demon Souls remake is nothing short of incredible. Uh, whether you like those games or not, it's a different story. But as far as a, a technical standpoint, how they were able to remake those games so faithfully while modernize, modernizing them in a lot of ways is really, really impressive work. So maybe there has been a shift in, in mindset. And also, I mean, Final Fantasy VII remake, which I know that there's some debatability about the word uh, remake in that case. We'll leave it at that. But I don't know. There's a, a fine line, I think, of what people are are looking for. But I I think it's good, Colin. You mentioned the idea of PS4 generation is the one moving forward where things live in perpetuity. It is time, I think, to get some of these these games moved up. And I'll still stand by that I want... I want the PS5 to be able to play PS1 and PS2 games and 
really PS3 at some point. I l- would love that backwards compatibility. Let us buy Tomba 2. Let us buy whatever obscure PS1 game we want. You know, yo, yo. It- I, I think I think that that was their ideal. I think that that's what they want. I just don't know if they can figure it out. You know, know. they have all these they have all these patents to put trophies on old games. They have these patents for like dynamic store placement of old games. And I think they're just trying to figure it out. But I feel like, first of all, I, I, I to his question, should they invest in even more? I think that one more studio that can because Blue Point's remaking games, right? Nix's is porting them. What you need maybe is a studio that's remastering the games. And that's a different thing entirely. Blue Point is too good for that now, right? Like you don't want them to do that anymore. Like you said, look what they did with Demon Souls. It's yeah. A new game. So I, I feel like in some sense, maybe finding another studio that can say like, we'll bring Infamous to PS4. And that's the big, that's the big thing I want to say. I don't want the games to come to PS5. I want them to come to PS4. Because as Dustin said, and as I pointed out, that is the baseline moving forward forever. PS4 will work now, like moving forward for decades, not your PS4, but you'll be able to go back and play those games. So just get everything to that base level and worry about anything else later. Resistance, Infamous, they've left behind like all this, the the fucking, you know, PS1 and PS2 siphon filter games, the getaway. There's a lot of stuff that like Colony Wars, there's stuff that should come forward. And I know that with a guy like Jim Ryan in charge, we don't have a person that has an appreciation for older games, the legend of Dragoon, Vib Ribbon, whatever the case might be. But I don't see why you wouldn't let the audience make that determination. Very yeah. similar to how Nintendo lets the audience make those determinations. Having a virtual console a la PS1 classics is not going to be good enough. They need to have a more integrative approach to get these games forward. And I think PS4 is the target. Anything that comes to PS5 alienates that entire mantra so while we want next gen games on PS5, we want the baseline ports and remasters to be on PS4. I think I have yeah. no problem with that personally. I agree. All right. This next one from JJK. I really like what he has to say here. He says, sup boys can or should games receive an M rating solely based on the inclusion of loot boxes. I'm not saying it's an easy fix all solution, but this might make parents take more notice in their game of in the games their kids are playing so they can protect themselves from future unwanted purchases. If one were to arise, is this legal? Why has no one mentioned this idea before? Seems straightforward. Kids aren't allowed to gamble in the U.S. until they reach the age of 18 or 21. Loot boxes seem to be an apparent act of online gambling and therefore restricted for underage children. Thanks for all your work. This is an interesting idea. Dustin, what do you make of of JJ's idea? Now, I do believe in-app purchases and all that kind of shit are on the box. I don't buy box games anymore, but I think it's all there. It's certainly there on the PSN. Yeah. Now, that's one thing. But just saying, like, listen, if you have in-app purchases, it's just M-rated. I don't know that that would be that would get major pushback and the ESRB would really have to reframe what being M rated means, but I don't mind it actually as a solution. Yeah, to me, it's on the box. Like I'm looking at this now from the ESRB where it says in game purchases, uh, parentheses includes random items. And so if this is uh, I mean, parents should think about it this way, but wait, wait, think about it this way. You're saying it's on the box, but it's very similar to PG-13. Like, you don't re- remember when TV started rating stuff, then they started rating stuff and putting what it was. So it'd be like right. this was rated 13 and then they would be like, oh, like it would have all those symbols. I think that's the difference between one thing and the other. What you're saying, like, you know, it's on the box, but you don't know. But it, you don't really aren't reading. And if you just know it's R rated or M rated, 
then you know maybe it's not suitable for your child. You don't even have to know the reason why. Right. I guess the question that this comes down to is that are loot boxes appropriate for children at all, right? Like, I don't know. It just seems extreme to go mature. This comes back to the thing. It's like, parents, if your kids are young, you should know what games they're playing. If you care about the content they're consuming, and especially if they have willy-nilly access to the credit card on their account, which we've already talked about this over that, like, parents need to be involved in if their child has access to that type of thing. Like, to me, it seems like an extreme to to take those games because some parents aren't going to even be, I don't know, maybe that maybe I'm making an argument for myself or against myself here by like some parents will just see M and not be informed and then just say, no, you're not playing that because they're not willing to do the research, which if you're an advocate against kids using any kind of loot boxes at all, then that's effective. But I don't know. It seems too extreme to me. I'm I'm just always going to be in favor of like, Put the proper warnings and let people know and parents need to take the responsibility to if your kid has access to the credit card, which one other thing is people are talking about, well, is it okay for kids even with permission to have these gambling like mechanics in the game? I think that's something that maybe maybe I'm not thinking about thoroughly enough. I don't know. Well, I think you've effectively explained why it's probably not even possible. Mm. But I I think in sharpening my own argument, I think my intent is to say, like, when I was a kid, first of all, when I was a kid, there were no ESRB ratings. ESRB ratings started when I was like 10 or 11. But when those when those things began, I never stopped me from playing those games. It almost never stopped me from buying them. I've said before, the only game I remember having a hard time buying was Grand Theft Auto 3 for some reason when it came out and I just paid some dude outside to go buy it for me. And he did. So that was it. That was the, that was the only time I ever was stopped from buying anything. So while it does seem heavy handed, if kids are going to circumnavigate it anyway, then it doesn't really matter if it's just the final tick of a box that someone needs to protect their kid in quotes from these things, then it makes a little bit more sense to me. I agree with you generally that I'm just kind of laissez faire. So it, it does kind of conflict with my own philosophy, but Chris, what do you, uh, what do you make of this? Uh, it should be rated AO. <laughs> Whoa. I'm going to go way harder than both of you. Wow. Fuck and you wouldn't even be able to sell your game on PlayStation anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't like him. I've already ex- expressed extreme prejudice against uh, loot boxes. Although, yeah. to be fair, I don't think they're as big of a problem now as they used to be. I feel like mm. I feel like a lot of publishers and developers have uh, wisened up a little bit in the sense that um, they're seeing the government crackdowns happen with loot boxes in other countries. And they're like, you know what? Let's just have a storefront where you can buy things directly and, you know, like microtransactions exist, but you know what you're getting. There's no there's no like, ooh, I'm going to spend ten dollars and maybe I'll get the thing I want. You just get a bunch of garbage, which is just like, I don't know. I just think it's like unethical from the from the game, from the developers. perspective. You're just actively just ripping people off and making people pay for the chance of getting the thing that they want to pay for instead of just offering the thing that is already in the game to them for a set amount of money that they would gladly pay anyway. I, I just hate that model, and I'm glad it's going away. So I think while this is, like, an interesting solution, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with an M rating for in-app purchases. I just don't know if it necessarily matters now because so much of what loot boxes were have evolved into the battle pass or have evolved mm. into um, just direct purchases where, like, you want this armor, here it is, download it, buy it, 
we don't want to deal with the government, you know, which has already been like, you know, I feel like that is already a solution in and of itself. I think I think literally just the threat of government intervention, much like with the ESRB in the first place, has always been a good motivator to just kind of do away with a lot of these, in my opinion, unethical, you know practices and we're seeing that like i can't think of a game currently that has loot boxes i'm sure there are some i think overwatch might have some but overwatch has fallen off pretty hard especially now uh so i don't know every game that i play that has an online component i don't really think has loot boxes there's like engrams in destiny that are kind of that way but you don't pay for those. Those are just things you, that just kind of appear. Like you just sort of like, oh, I picked this up. I wonder what's in it for free. So I just don't know if it's even worth going through this solution in the first place when it seems like the problem is more or less gone. And I would have to imagine that by the time Overwatch 2 comes out or some of these other games that have legacies with loot boxes do arrive, I have to imagine that on some level those will be replaced by a similar system that we've seen in recent games, like Battle Passes or like direct microtransaction purchases like you see in Fortnite and other games. Very well said. Uh, I will say this, and we've all, I think, had this in our own childhoods, respectively, with whatever. You don't want to begrudge a child from spending their money, hard-earned money, they mow lawns or get an allowance or whatever, and then they, that's what they want to buy. Yeah. And I, I've said before, I was an avid hockey card collector and stuff, and there's something, there were no digital options for me as a child, so who knows what I would have fallen into had there had been. So I can see both sides of the argument, like the protective side and then kind of the more laissez-faire side. But it is interesting to just think about to Dustin's point, kind of the, the, the a child's freedom mm-hmm. to play, right? And and not be necessarily turned off to a game that is otherwise appropriate for them because of some overwrought rating from uh, an agency, which to Chris's point was a great success and is a great success story of keeping the government out. I mean, the SRB is the answer of a threat and keeps the government away, which is not the case in other places. Remember, Australia like straight up bans games. Yeah for for speech uh, <laughs> somewhat often yeah it's wild so yeah so we have a lot of different things that we have to balance with this question and i i really appreciated the thoughtful question jj because it's not something i had ever really thought too carefully about but i don't know i think that there's another side of it which is my 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 i have you know six nieces and nephews and my nephew um dash is a, a big gamer um and he loves injustice and he bought like he just wanted this like DLC pack that was like $10. I think was just costumes and shit. And he just insisted he wanted it. And he doesn't have much money, right? Like he gets his allowance or his like communion money or whatever. And then he bought it and it sucked. And he was like really upset. And it was a valuable lesson apparently to him to like not let a whole a money burn a hole in your pocket. So at the same time, not all children will just yeah, rampantly yeah. spend because they can that, as well. Yeah, that, that is true. Although he did know what he, he wasn't. It wasn't like a. Like you might get a costume if you buy that's this, true. you know what I mean? <laughs> that's true. That's a, that's another thing. It's like there's a, there is a difference between like paying for the chance to get. It's like buying a lottery ticket almost, as opposed to like you know buying something directly. Or it's like you're better off just buying something directly. But I don't know. Like I know that it doesn't necessarily apply to UConn because like who are you like eleven when it when ESRB? So yeah, it, I was eleven. I think I was eleven years old. Yeah. So you conceivably 10, 11, have yeah. played or bought M-rated games before, Definitely. like. But Dustin and I are the same. Do you, Do you remember what the first M-rated game you bought was? Like actually, like 
legally, like as a seventeen, a newly seventeen year old person. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I do remember getting carded at a GameStop once, like yeah. around that time. Maybe it was. See, GTA Five came out when I was just out of high school, mm-hmm. so that it might have been GTA Five. Isn't that crazy? GTA is <laughs> so still going. Um, but yeah, I remember the, getting carded. I don't remember specifically what. Maybe it was like Dishonored. That was a game that came out around that time too. It's funny though because that that is the legacy of Grand. Because I remember Grand Theft Auto Four was the first game that I bought when I when I had when oh. I turned seventeen, and I was like. I'm going in. I'm doing. I'm going to the best. Going to the GameStop or whatever, and I'm gonna be like, I can buy this. And the guy's like, Let me see your ID. It's like, no problem, sir. That's right. And I was so proud and happy. And then I got <laughs> home, and I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> but it's so funny, man. I remember. I remember just. Buy, I remember very vividly buying beer legally for the first time, like, and how happy I was. I bought a. Uh, like a rack of natural light, I think. And, and yeah, I just hell yeah. proudly or Keystone, I think it actually was. And I walked just, you know, through campus with it, you know, kind of thinking I was like, cool. Like, yeah, man, finally. Instead, I like having like, you know, the very consp- what we used to do is just get very conspicuously just fill up rolling luggage with fucking beer and liquor from the stores that would sell to us and then bring them back. And everyone knew what you were doing. It was quite, quite weird that we were able to get away with that. But we did. All right. Dylan Bicca. I think I'm saying that right. Wrote in and said, hi, CDC. I have a question regarding Sony's potential strategy and announcements. It's been almost a year since we had a flat, uh, had a proper PlayStation showcase, and I feel it's missed within the PlayStation community. I just feel the lack of a press conference or PSX has led to less excitement to the platform for the Sony faithful. The Xbox platform just seems more energetic, especially with its recent E3 showcase. It seems like Sony is more focused on smaller state of plays and focused gameplay reveals for exclusives, for example, Horizon. I can understand how a game like Horizon can bring more engagement having a separate reveal. However, it cannot replicate the excitement and pure hype of an E3-like showcase with many announcements. Do you think Sony is actually planning a showcase, or do you think they prefer focused gameplay reveals like Horizon and State of Play spread throughout the year? Will we see a separate State of Play exclusively exclusively for the next God of War? Thanks. Keep up the great work. Mm. Thank you, Dylan, for writing in. This is a good point. I, I do think that there is something missing, but until it hits them where it hurts... They don't really care. In fact, they're probably saying the less we do, the more we sell. I mean, that is actually what it what's being said right now. Just the market is saying that we're doing less. The console's selling more. So they might look at it and say, like, there's no reason for us to invest in this sort of thing anymore. There's no reason for us to worry about this date things, reveal things before they're ready, not have an understanding of the specific cadence of the of the catalog as we move forward through the years. And I think state of play has been a very effective way of them for them, for me, for someone like me of effective because I don't I don't like the pop and circumstance of, you know, the pomp of Gamescom opening night. I didn't watch any of it. I just waited. I just kept F5ing every so often push square just to see what was announced. And then I'm like, oh, they announced Saints Row. I'll just watch that. Oh, they announced this. I'll just watch that. And so when they they come and just approach and say, like, we're going to really respect your time and just give you 15 minutes of death loop or we're going to respect your time and just give you a half an hour of indies. I don't hate it, mm-hmm. but there is something to be said about a big new shiny announcement. And we actually haven't gotten one in a while. That's why it's so weird that we're getting so close to just the the final games that are even announced. Uh, Chris, what do you think about, or uh, do you think we're missing something here? Or would you like, would you like the return of, of a, of a state of play and E3 return? What do you think? 
I like the state of plays when they focus on a game. Like, I like the Horizon state of play. I like the Ghost of Tsushima state of play. I like all of the focused state of plays. But anytime they do a state of play that's like, here's a bunch of stuff, it feels like a bootleg E3. And it doesn't feel nearly as interesting, nearly as exciting, and it doesn't, it's, it's just not nearly as energizing. Like, for the most part, you know, I, I remember the Horizon, the Horizon 2 uh, Forbidden West state of play was super positively received like people really enjoyed it and really thought highly of of the game after they saw it and that's great but if they're not doing that the the consensus online is usually like eh, all right, all right. it's usually like very likely so almost like in my opinion they need to do less in some ways and maybe more in other ways i remember the big ps5 reveal event was awesome you know when they showed and they they ended it with <laughs> You know, God of War, which which was not real, <laughs> but uh, not a real date. But, you know, like that was fun. That was cool. That was like the closest thing we got to E3 in a long time. And, you know, I, I do think there is something missing. But like you said, it doesn't really matter to them because they're doing well. They're spending less money on these shows uh, than they would have had to if, if they had to like rent space out for, you know, proper E3. That would have been just like a lot of money that they didn't need to spend because their stuff is selling well regardless. But I do agree in general, there is a little bit more energy over on the Xbox side right now. Uh, but I also, that's just because they have more to talk about and they have more imminent things to talk about. And also, to be quite frank, the Xbox One was a fucking failure. It was a mess. So, like, anything good that they do is going to seem way better than equivalently well done things that Sony does now because they were already at the top and they kind of still are like they could do identical things and it would m matter way more for Xbox than it does for Sony. That's just the matter. That's just the fact. So I think that also plays a key part in this as well. What do you think, Dustin? It's interesting. I made a, a tweet about this, how we see these opposite strategies of Sony and Microsoft and in particular, this Xbox Gamescom stream, which they did set the the expectations, saying these are going to be updates on our current current. Uh, I think it says titles coming this year. It was still like ninety minutes or two hours or something. It was just just boring overall. I mean, I don't know how to say. I'm sure it was exciting for some people. In my opinion, I was pretty bored and a lot of people were not into what microsoft showed overall in fact it they thought it was weird which i think it makes sense now that they didn't even have halo at their own event and that's like the whole reason everyone tuned in was for halo and then they ended up putting it on keely's thing and so i think sony knows the power of a really really good event chris brought up the future of gaming show and I'm, t I'm just clicking through it now on YouTube and thinking back like this was a really, really solid presentation. We saw Miles Morales for the first time. We saw Ratchet and Clank, uh, a lot of really promising indies. We saw Horizon. And at the end, the buildup with the reveal of the console, it was really, I mean, in my opinion, like masterfully done. Not that everything was amazing in this conference, but it really, really got people excited about this this new machine. And so I could see Sony like, why, 
Why do we need to talk multiple times a year? Why do we need to do Gamescom, Paris Games Week, and Tokyo Game Show? And we've already seen them kind of retreat away from talking multiple times a year. I'm still curious and wondering, though it's kind of getting a little late at this point, if they are going to do some type of PlayStation experience, whether that maybe is December or early next year. Maybe it's in person. Maybe it's not. But I could see them being like, hey, we're going to lay out all the things that we're able to talk about right now. And it's going to be a really killer, you know, 90 minute show. And this is what you can expect from us. And then we're going to go dark other than these gameplay focused state of plays. I think that that's fun when now with Microsoft, when you tune in, (laughs) you don't know if it's going to be really worth watching or like any of these other publishers. You don't know. Even sometimes when they do set the expectations, it can be worse (laughs) than you expect. So and I know that's a matter of opinion, but I am warming up to this strategy from Sony, even if it can be a little frustrating as a fan. I think it makes sense. Yeah, very well said. I, I don't know that I disagree with much of what you guys have said. I think this has to be examined from really complex angles. Yeah. Marketing angles, numeric angles, economic angles. Chris, were you going to say something? No, I, I was someone saying, saying something. I agree. But like, yeah. I, I do think it's it's just a matter of like who's implementing what strategy. I, I do think Microsoft needs to speak. I think they do. I think they have a lot to prove and I think they have a lot to talk about in general over the next couple months. Psychonauts just came out, I think, the day we're recording this. And very that's, well received. That's very yeah, well it's doing super well. Way better than I thought it would it would do. So I'm I'm looking. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to play it when I you know get situated in in New York. But like you know they've got obviously Halo in December. They got Forza in, in November. They've got like all these. They've got a lot to talk about. So they should talk about it. And Sony doesn't. So they should shut up. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. until they have something worth sharing. And I think that's when people are going to tune in. I think that's totally fine. I think both of these strategies are valid. And I think both of these strategies are appropriate given who it is that's implementing the, the strategies in the first place. So, yeah, I think it's yeah. it's all good. Definitely. It's exciting about gaming is just the, the different strategies that that out of necessity need to be employed at the same time. And so you see different outcomes simultaneously where you don't really have to wonder what would have happened at X, Y, or Z time if these things were employed. Cause you just get to see them all deployed at the same time. And usually there's just one winner. Mm-hmm. Um, although people can win in different ways. And I think you're seeing that with Nintendo and Sony and now Microsoft again, I think everyone's kind of winning. So yeah, in their own way. Well, they've always all been winning. Like they, they, they make millions upon millions of dollars every day. They're, they're, they're fine. They're, That's true. They're doing really Although well. Xbox was Xbox. Wasn't always a moneymaker. That's for, true. For, uh, in fact, it was quite the opposite. I think any, I think any company that withstood what the original Xbox lost would oh, have yeah. not made another one. No, yes. <laughs> but they're also Microsoft. So they, they win by default right. kind of by just being alive, <laughs> like by being around still. Indeed. The final question comes from Eliezer Morales, and I, I am curious because I don't really know the answer to your guys to, to the question for this one. And um, I think it just brings into focus kind of how bad this year has been for games, but um, maybe like one of the worst years for games. He says, hello, Sacred C- uh, CDC. As we approach the end of August and the end of summer, what is your game of the year so far? And do you see anything in these next four months that could jump your current game of the year? Personally, I don't see a unanimous game of the year and Herbroxia 2 is the only 2021 game I bought and played. So technically, that's my game of the year. It's been a backlog year for me. Thank you. 
it's been a bit of a backlog year for me too, although obviously I've been buying and playing games as they've come out. I'll leave my answer for last. Dustin, what is your game of the year so far? Uh, so my game of the year so far, the, the game I've enjoyed playing the most has been Near Replicant, but that's kind of, I mean, it's a remaster, remake situation. So uh, the backup answer is Hitman 3 was the best oh, yeah? new January release game that I played. So uh, there's a couple that could that could take it, I think. I mean, all eyes on uh, Deathloop and Halo Infinite, of course. I mean, I know it's hard hard to believe, but it could be. Sure. No one knows. That's totally valid. That's totally valid. I let me ask you this before I move over to Chris. Uh, do you think this year has been bad for games? I, I actually am hard pressed to think of a worse year. Like I'd have to go really look and and see, but this has been a pretty brutal year and i think that that's just the way it is that's why i think 2022 is going to be explosive for games um right 2021 has just been a year of delays and game i mean it's just the the industry has greatly suffered i'm sure that there have been great games that have come out that i have not played yet or don't know about i'm just saying specifically from a triple a angle i don't think it's been a very strong year at all no and i think that i mean there it's hard to say i'm looking through like the open critic top games this year we've gotten some really awesome games. Uh, Resident Evil was awesome. Returnal. Uh, obviously, we have different takes on that, but it's no doubt a good game for as far as production and how it plays and stuff. But, now, you know, now I'm looking, it's like, yeah, it's definitely been on the weaker side. No doubt. Yeah, it's, it's meager out there right now. I think it won't be for very long, though. Chris, what's your favorite game of the year so far? Uh, man, I'm looking through. There is actually more this year than I thought there was. Like I, I like I Resident Evil Village was like a lot of fun. Like Psychonauts two I haven't played yet, but it's it's apparently really great. Um, Deathloop is on the horizon. Hitman three was awesome. Dying Light two at the end of the year. Obviously for me, Halo's a, a big deal. We had Ratchet and Clank Returnal, like you said. I gotta be real, man. Like I think <laughs> so far. I th- I think it takes two is is probably it. Like I it's just really I, good. It's just so surprising, and the fact that it's like a new IP and it's as competently designed as it is, and it's not relying on like you know some franchise that everybody loves, and it's just this weird kind of like passion project that's just really well made and really fun. And I I, I think of the games so far. Granted, this last half is going to be interesting of the year but so far i think that's the game that i've really 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 the new game that i really enjoyed like the most if i was being an asshole i could say destiny again but i wouldn't yeah (laughs) that would be a perfectly valid answer too i think but for me uh outriders is easily the best game that i played this year i mean easily and do i anticipate that it'll be beat by something else maybe the games that shine shine to me right now, Tales of Arise, oh, I'm yeah. really looking forward to. Far Cry 6 could be, because I'm a huge Far Cry guy. Mm-hmm. Deathloop, as Dustin said, could be one. But other than that, I don't anticipate, I don't know, I don't see anything else really coming, coming in hot. Now, Returnal was awesome. I really loved the experience of it. Resident Evil Village was really great. Uh, I liked Ratchet and Clank. I really like the game Cyber Shadow, although I have to go back mm-hmm. and beat it. And then there were just a lot of smaller or older games that I played this year. Like I platinum that role playing game RFL. 
I played that indie roguelike game in Platinum Sparklight. I platinumed Wild Arms 3, which took me like 150 hours. You know, and I was messing around with. Oh, I, I want to give a shout out to Scarlet Nexus, which I did beat. I, I played it for like 35 or 40 hours. It was a good game. Very Japanese, but very good. But a lot. And I liked Trigger Witch, obviously, which I platinumed. Ender Lilies, I platinumed and I really enjoyed that. But a lot of the stuff was just kind of games that I was dicking around with. I, I dick around with Puyo Puyo Tetris or something, you know. So, yeah, I just feel like this has been a. A strange one. I've also spent an enormous amount of time with just older games that I didn't get any trophies for. Like I played Rainbow Moon for probably 50 hours and didn't get any trophies because I had them all already. You know, so situations like that. So there's just a lot of different things to uh, consider. But I'm excited about this back half of the year because or this back quarter of the year, because I feel like there could be a few nice shiny objects in there for me. Yeah, I feel like tails. I feel like it's starting to pick up now. Like indeed, it's going to be interesting. Indeed, I'm excited. Uh, once we get through the live show, we all get back and can kind of establish ourselves and settle in for the fall. And I think that's when, yeah, we'll have lots of things to play. But that's all we have for this episode of um, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Dustin, do you have any closing comments? Any closing comments? No, stay well. This is if this is the time people are asking me, like, should I play this? Should I play that? And my answer is almost always like, yes. Someone asked me about Persona. I'm like, if you don't play it now, you probably won't play it for at least a year because this is where things are really starting to get going. So should be cool. Lots to talk about. Chris, talk to me. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, this is the last time I'll be uh, signing out from here. From so, your CIA black site? Yeah, from my little uh, <laughs> my CIA black site. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, the second this is done, I'm... <laughs> unplugging everything and putting it all in a box and hoping it doesn't shatter when it arrives uh fingers crossed on that one but i am uh very uh very confident that it will and i'm wishing you the very best in your moving i'll see you soon obviously we'll all see each other on here for one more episode before we see each other again in person but uh boys thank you for your time today be well and uh thank you all out there for your love kindness and support of sacred symbols and all things last stand remember you can support us again patreon last stand media Buy merch, lastdaymedia.shop. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on podcast services, etc. and so on. Thanks again. We love you. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Jordan Mittman, Julian Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Taylor Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Dr. 
Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Timothy Baylor, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travis Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Dan Parsons, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crow, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.